Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, hey, this is Tyler Express. I am here with uh, Alan of Chronicles of Ember and Pex. I don't know. Should I, I always use Pex, but I don't know. Should I use your real name or you, you like your gnome de guerre, internet gnome de guerre of Pex? Uh, working with the frog gods, uh, Alan. Why don't you give the your intro and feel free to drop links to all your stuff in the chat, and then Pex can go, and then uh, we can figure out what to talk about and get this thing going. <clears throat> all right. Well, that sounds like a winner to me. Uh, my name is Alan, and I am the guy who writes and produces the Chronicles of Ember tabletop RPG. It's a D and D alike, but everything has gone wrong. There are cute fuzzy animals ripping each other to shreds inside a blizzard, and you know you want to play this. It's like Watership Down with weapons. Great stuff. Um, it's something that I've uh, – it's the kind of game I've always wanted to play, and so I had to make it because there wasn't one. And I think that if you give it a fair shake, you're going to like it too. Let me go ahead and drop all my stuff here. Copy pasta and – Pasta has been copied, and there it is. Thrown up, waiting for things to populate. Just a lot of links. Ah, oh, there we go. And I think that's really all the intro that I've got right now. If you do want to check it out, you've got, uh, uh, you can catch me at any of these links at chroniclesofember.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, I have a Twitter page that I actually pay attention to once a month, and <laughs> I should be doing better. And a few other random places around the internet. So, hey, I am caffeinated. You're absolutely right, son. And I am going to go ahead and throw it back to you. All right, Pex, you here? You're up. Hello, I am Pex, or John Barnhouse. I guess I'm out of the mailroom. I can use my real name. Uh, I am the online uh, marketing and plat- online platforms director for Frog God Games, Necromancer games and 3D print craft because apparently I can't find enough work for myself. And uh, we have a Kickstarter going on right now for Frog God Games. I'll put a link in chat for that. It's the Swords and Wizardry box set. You can also feel free to give us a like on Facebook. Because Facebook is where all the cool kids hang out. Awesome. You know, there actually are pretty good uh, role playing game groups on Facebook. I find it's pretty much the only thing that keeps me on there. Um, I'm Todd. I write and talk about video games. Hexpress. I'm also on Facebook, Patreon, Twitter, YouTube. I will probably drop my Patreon link in there, not to push people towards that, but just because that's where everything gets consolidated. And probably the only reason I'm still on Facebook is that there are pretty good game groups, and I have a page on there. And I also do. There's also a calendar of events for the Breakfast Club that I'm not actually that good at updating. But if you want to get reminders when they're on, you can get ping there if you're on. You're on Facebook. Uh, so before we, I turned on the recorder, we were talking about, I guess, kind of some of the technical nitty gritty of streams. Uh, Pex, do you watch any streams? I mean, I, I know when I talked to you know Matt Finch, uh, you know, I used to watch his recorded streams of his uh, Swords and Wizardry game. You you ever check out any streams? Like them, dislike them, find them boring? What's your take? Cool. 
on streams in general uh yeah absolutely like like, um, like rpg you know rpg streams like the uh like 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 the like his like matt finch's streams or you know adam coble or uh you know matt colville or you know obviously critical role being the giant elephant in the room any of those any other ones i know there's a ton of ones in audio and video form i just rattled off a couple yeah i'm, I'm mainly mainly a video guy versus a podcast guy um just because I'm, I'm more visual oriented, but I, I love podcasts as well. Uh, but for for some other ones, um, I've been watching a fistful of dice for years. Very low key guy, doesn't have many subscribers, but I find his info uh, that he does fantastic. I'm also a Mastara fanboy, so Mister Welch is also another one if you're into the Mastara setting. Um, recently, I found Babies with Knives that I recently got mad onto, but I've been going through their stuff and it's really solid. Um. Back are these actual game. plays, or are these uh, guys chatting about the game? Uh, a Fistful of Dives is more of your information or how-to. Uh, Babies of the Knives is all over the place. They, they do how-tos, let's plays, interviews. Um, Dawn Forge cast, I watched back in my Pathfinder days that I try to forget, but I, I did play a bit of Pathfinder for a while, so I watched his videos extensively. Um... I, I watch Mr. Match or that Matt Finch RPG Studio as well, and then uh, Mr. Welch is more of a historical facts of Mistara kind of a series. So, uh, San Tag Tagoy, I don't know if I got that. I asked if in there in Tecumel podcast. I don't know if there's any Tecumel. That's definitely a, pro- a topic. I actually have some of the pedal uh, pedals of the. No wait, why am I mixing that up? What? Um, Emperor of the Petal Throne, right? That's the actual RPG name. Something like that. Sorry, I'm spacing out on it this morning. But um, yeah, I, I would love to see Tecumel's stuff. Uh, and he listened about it because I, uh, owning the books, and I've always been intrigued by the lore, <clears throat> but I actually haven't read too deeply into it. So it's one of those, one of those subjects. So back onto some of the ones that you like, uh, Pex. What, what is it? You said you're visual. Do you like the ones with all the bells and whistles? I know that you know, some of them have all the cool kind of roll 20 sort of overlay kind of things. I see Matt Colville and then some of those, and I guess Acquisitions Incorporated and Critical Role, they have kind of nice overlays. Or is it more you like seeing the kind of table stuff, like maybe the, the miniatures in Matt Finch's case or kind of the more of the view of just what's literally on the table as opposed to the sort of more, I guess, advanced digital representational graphics and whatnot? Uh, it's not so much the graphics for me, honestly. It, it's more of the it more well, it's gonna sound lame, but it's more of the information that I find valuable. Um, it's just like finding a good blog that has just good articles of info and facts and stuff. That, that's more up my alley, um, uh, especially with Fistful of Dice, Don Forge, and Mister Welch. They're all more fact based, and the only graphics they honestly do are more like your bullet point of these are the topics I'm covering for the day or these are the subjects we do kind of like we post in the breakfast club and coast to coast and like, Oh, that's an interesting topic. I want to, I want to watch or listen or read about that. Gotcha. What about you, Alan? Is there anything I, obviously we were talking before about you kind of looking at or working on producing your own kind of actual play podcast and, and how to do that. But do you listen or watch any at the moment? <clears throat> Really, I don't. I uh, I've never actually listened in on another person's podcast, especially a game podcast, up to this point. So I don't really know what I'm doing very well. I've started playing with it, and 
I've been checking up on YouTube. Well, how do you do these things? How do you add structure to your podcast? How do you do X, Y, and Z? But as far as actually experiencing them, I am not the guy you should probably be asking about <laughs> how to do these things because I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. And I'm doing as well as I'm doing right now. Um, exactly. I can give facts and opinions and, and, uh, and mostly opinions, very few facts. Um, I should probably start checking into other things. And I would like some good recommendations on what you guys think are uh, are worthwhile listens. Try to model myself after that, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of different styles. It's definitely worth listening to other people's or watching them just to get an idea of what other people are doing and, you know, what works, what you like, you know, for, and and. Uh, and, and that sort of thing. Like like the stuff that I do is mostly opinion-based where they get some kind of factoids thrown in there when applicable. I don't, you know, you know the thing is for me that's maybe a good or a bad thing depending on where you come from is I just, at the moment, either I'm not, I can't write myself good enough scripts or I'm just not good at reading them. But I, I found when I tried doing kind of writing everything in a scripted form, I just felt like I was very stilted in my delivery. <clears throat> Yeah, I understand that to be a thing you have to kind of grow into. Uh, again, these are opinions that I have heard from other people who claim to have done this and have met with success. So I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna let you take that with a grain of salt. But uh, oh no, I'm um, sure it's definitely <laughs> something that you have to practice and and keep doing. You know, and I, some of it is I think finding your natural voice and kind of being able to get. Uh, you know, get the kind of uh, the tone and sort of rhythm that you want. I think editing helps. A lot, and you'll see ones. You know, you could you can watch if you. It's harder to tell if you're just listening to them, but definitely when you watch them, you see where those little kind of jagged cuts. They've clipped out some stuff, uh, and you see that a lot. I mean, and it makes sense, you know, because I think that the one thing I always try to look for, you know, is finding somebody locally that I could sort of uh, collaborate with as far as hey, I could help you film and do your stuff, and you can help me film and do my stuff because it's everything's more difficult when you're doing it as a one man band like I'm doing. Yeah. It. Oh, I, I totally feel your pain, man. Um, the best advice that I've had for doing any kind of writing and rhetoric came, from, of all people, from Mark Twain. And he didn't say it exactly, but there was a there was a thing when I was in school I had to read about um, he had this little speech that he was going to give. And he had originally written it for something that you're going to read. It's not going to be something you get up and do. But uh, whenever he changed format and he had to deliver this, he said that he could not read this verbatim because it was not written for that format, and you could tell. Also, writing things for somebody else's voice. If you have something that's not written for your voice and you're trying to do this, it's going to sound like a train wreck because it never was supposed to come out of the instrument, which is you. And you know, there's a reason they don't play symphonies with banjos. Well, okay, there's a lot of reasons that they don't do symphony orchestras with banjos. But <laughs> I think we, uh, I think you understand what I mean. Um, so writing... <laughs> these... Pex, you are on point, so help me God, you are on point every single time. <laughs> he has just placed the most wonderful thing in the RPG Breakfast Club chat when I mentioned banjos. Um... Yeah, the uh, uh, getting stuff organized for your voice and and getting it out there. It's like uh, like flavor text for an RPG 
we've all seen these. If you're if you've ever ran a game, you get a. Pre- I was about to segue in there, so you you <laughs> <read> my mind. <laughs> hey man, you get. Uh, I'm going through this crap right now, and you uh, look at that flavor text, and it says read or paraphrase this to your players. My God, always paraphrase this to your players because if you read it verbatim. It, it sounds awful. <laughs> it just sounds awful. But it doesn't suck when you're actually reading it to yourself. Usually. No, it's very true. I, I go back and forth on the, the flavor text thing. I, I'm working on a couple things myself. And then I've decided if at least one of them, I'm going to try something different and not use the standard flavor text. Because I do, I wonder how many people in real play, because I know I never did, would read the flavor text out, you know. Mm. Um, and it's weird. And the other thing too, is like the flavor text can't, it can't integrate all these different things that may happen. So if my players succeeded on a listen check and the flavor text is going to have the big gotcha of something at the end of it, but I know they've already heard the thing moving around before they open the door and they're ready for it. <laughs> yeah. then, then the flavor text just doesn't match up with what has actually happened in the game. Like I read through and I know, okay, there's an orc hiding, behind this place but i know the players have already pinpointed that there's an orc hiding behind there so yeah the player text has this thing where it's going to give you this whole tension buildup of then the orc going aha and jumping out and the players like yeah <laughs> we know we know he's there already we're, we're watching him right now it's like well oh. you know <laughs> yeah i've had one even worse i'm um so there was this vampire creature that was supposed to be a gotcha, a skeleton that starts suddenly growing organs and flesh and muscles and he's ready to go and do this well that's what the flavor text said to do Unfortunately, one of the players had already jumped on this skeleton and rammed two short swords straight up underneath his chin to protrude from his skull and was scissoring them together as he was coming together. And sure enough, the game master was new and didn't know what to do, so went ahead and just read the flavor text saying that all this happens anyway and wah-ha-ha. And we're all sitting around asking, well, what about those two swords in his nervous system? Does that not come into play? Did we not win <laughs> at that point? And uh, yeah, it's uh, you. You can get some comedy. Out. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean it, it's they they. I get the necessity for them in some ways, but yeah, you end up almost like it breeds people to just kind of go through by rote and not maybe get more in the improv sense of like what I've thought about with my own structure is maybe trying to highlight here are the kind of five senses type things that are going on. You know, what do you see, what do you hear, what do you kind of smell, what kind of things around, and then tell you sort of what's in the room and about where they are, and then let you read through that. And so you can know, okay, there's a skeleton over here. And if the players jump to it or do something else that negates that skeleton being there, then you don't need to go ahead and read it. You know, you've already gotten that. And then you can kind of make your own flavor text from those notes, so to speak. Yeah. Well, flavor text has got to be there for a reason. I mean, they wouldn't have put that in all those years ago. I think this was a a staple from back in the very earliest days of tabletop. I don't know that for sure, but I just have this feeling <laughs> that it's always been there. And well, I imagine it's it's it must the, the less you prepare, right? The more that those things like flavor text probably are helpful. Yeah, well, if you get somebody who's got a lot of experience, they're most likely, I assume, not going to read the flavor text as written. They're going to say, okay, here's what we've got. This is the encounter. I've actually read the adventure. Who does that anymore? And then they'll put that into play. But if you have a new group 
that really aren't too sure of themselves and they roll uh, roll dice, flip a coin, draw straws or whatever, and decide that Bobby is going to be the guy running the game today, whether he likes it or not. <clears throat> Here you go. Let's do this. Uh, the flavor text, it does serve a role and it may be a stilted and janky role, <laughs> but I think that it probably needs to be there for, for those players anyway. I mean, beyond what's in the room, like dimensions and furniture and crap, I find any kind of flavor text. Oh, Pex, we lost you. Pex gets altered. Oh, did I drop out? Yep. Yeah, you had that little thing where it, you know, you all of a sudden just kind of fade away in the middle of your sound. And do that, ro- yeah, that robot fade. <laughs> I shall start again. Yes, uh, flavor text, box text. Uh, I find anything beyond room dimensions, furniture, and crap. It involves like speech, smell, or any of the senses, like Todd was saying. That just gets altered during play. Sometimes it doesn't. You can just go with it. Um, but most of the time, the players, well, they're on paranoia train and they're asking questions before they even turn the knob on the door. Right. Uh, and, and so you kind of have to alter and go with it. I mean, it's a good placeholder uh, for, like you're saying, for newer players or for. Mm, I'm trying to think of a good scenario. Uh, I mean, con play, right? Uniform. Cons, you want, yeah. You want everybody to be working off the same thing. You want there to be basically a sense of if you're running this module that you're getting kind of the same experience at all the different tables. So the 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 the, the box text kind of gives you another way of getting a uniform, ideal uniform experience. So yeah, I think for those, there's some good use cases. Right. Um Try to decide if I would want them out in the long term. I don't know if I do. I, I kind of like giving it as a base and working from the base when I'm altering it or playing with it. So I, I think it's good to keep in, I guess, mainly because I'm used to it and I don't like change. <clears throat> no one likes change. Well, I think I have come up with a, a uh, solution for the box text thing. Uh, in addition to having the box text, my adventures, um, and I do have, I actually have adventures, really, it's true. Uh, <laughs> these adventures have bullet points above the box text. Whenever you have an encounter, here's the title of the encounter, and then you have three bullet points that serves to bring the uh, the game master up to speed on exactly what's going on. And then you can sort of jam off of that if you need to without having to read the box text if you if you don't want. And it gives you a nice little capsule instead of going through and having to hold on, guys, I need to read this encounter again to figure out exactly what happens, blah, blah, blah. And I think we've all seen that. I know I'm guilty of it. And I got sick of being guilty of it, so I tried to fix it with these these little uh, uh, sets of bullet points. And maybe that would be more, what's the word, more useful, um, more comfortable for, uh, for old hat GMs who've been playing since God was a little boy. And they just, they don't want to read box text anymore. No one cares about grognards. Kidding, grognards, we care about you. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I think that's a good point, because you kind of gave me an idea here, maybe having the box text for as is, and then a separate blank box for you to fill in your own notes or box text uh, yourself, I think would be kind of cool to see. But again, page count, layout. Uh, yeah, there you go. Hey, Datum's here. Um, yeah, uh, page count is one of those things that I'm worried about. I'm not too sure. I'm not. Well, 
the more pages you have, the more money it costs you to make. And now we're getting into letting the bean counters decide exactly who's going to be doing what. And I'm, um, I'm not looking forward to that being a problem. It's not as much of an issue on the digital front, right? And in some ways, page count can be your friend from a marketing standpoint. If you say over 50 pages worth of classes, you know, ooh, ah. But yeah, for definitely from a print standpoint, there's all kinds of calculus that goes into page count, printing, and, and that kind of thing. Well, I don't know if it's considered gauche to do, but you figure, well, you have to factor page count into final cost and then your profit margin. And are people going to pay another $2 for these extra 25 to 30 pages? You know, can can we sneak that in there? Is that too much? Uh, am I going to look like the money-grubbing jerk that I am if I <laughs> if I actually jack my prices up to uh, to accommodate this? How much is too much? Uh, we're into the Bethesda horse armor thing all over again. That's why they gave us the blank pages in the back of the book, right? No. Uh, <laughs> there's a different reason for that, actually. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. Put your notes here. Yeah, and we can't divide by four, so here you go. That's hard. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, the one thing I'll say from a print stamp is I ran across something, you know, just please, people, when you're laying out your adventures, put the box text at least... If not the very top of the pay of where you have the section on a given room near the top, because it does no use to have the box text at the very bottom of a room description, potentially on another page, potentially where the GM's not going to see it, and then have to scramble to figure out what to say, only to get to the bottom of the whole thing and then see that oh, there's the box text that I needed ten minutes ago when they first I first had to find the stuff about the room. Yeah, yeah, I think you should go in and just like they taught you when you were a little bitty kid. You tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then maybe tell them what you told them at the end for, uh, for wrapping up that particular encounter. Um, it's the method that I'm trying to use, and it works as well as it does. So if anybody's got a better idea, I can be trained. I don't. Though I do think that, uh, I think it was the Tomb of the Serpent Kings has a really good layout for rooms there. I mean, it's it's kind of a free, I don't think they offer a print version, you just have to print it out yourself, but... Theirs is really good. It, I mean, not just the box text, but they also have, for example, little mini maps of kind of the cluster of rooms that are on a given spread. They have like a little zoom in so you could kind of see where you are without having to necessarily look at a bigger flip back and forth to a bigger map because it'll have kind of where you are in the page next to the rooms. I think and it's. I know that the guy continually kind of tweaks it and improves it, but it, it is it's really from a. I feel like from a usability standpoint, the way it's laid out, it's really really nice. Yeah, I've, uh, I'll go ahead. Uh, no, no, you. Mine's long. Okay, well, maybe mine will be too. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the design principles that I try to go by is I don't want you to play hide and seek through fifteen books to be able to find the information that you want for an encounter that should be laid out right in front of you. 
I want to give you all of your monster information, all the stuff that you need that is relevant and pertinent to what's going on right now on one or two pages right in front of you. And it does increase the adventure length a little bit to do so. But I write these things primarily for myself. And this is what I would want to see when I was doing this. Have I bought the adventure? Well, there it is. I've got all I need. And wouldn't that just be great? But then you get the bean counters, I'm sure, at some point telling you, no, 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 we must sell more books. We can't do the thing that you're trying to do. Um, and that's half a joke. You may laugh or groan as necessary or appropriate. You figure it out. You do you. Yeah, plus there's licensing things, too, I think. You know, as far as if you're doing something for 5th edition, I, I'm not sure exactly how it works for monsters. I don't, I'm not in the open game license. Either you just can't mention them or you are or you can put maybe if it's DM's Guild, you can put a, a you can't put the actual description there, but I think you can reference the book where it is. So some of that's not necessarily up to the authors, but certainly with your own content, I always like it that yeah, if I can have everything I need right here, and I don't have to go flip back and forth between the back of the book, which is even worse when it's a digital PDF because you can't you know put your finger on the physical page where the flip back. You have to bookmark it or somehow remember and then. S- go forward in the PDF and then go back to where you were. So it's even, I feel like it's even more important with digital versions of, of, of books to have everything as, as much as possible kind of right there in front of your eyes, either on your laptop or, you know, on your tablet or however you're, you know, uh, ingesting the stuff. Yeah. It's still weird to me uh, having the digital element brought to the table with people with their devices and whatnot, because I'm used to the, I'm old, I'm used to having books and dead trees everywhere and a big stack of smelly decomposing wood over here that I'm looking through <laughs> trying to find things. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, let you guys know as a public service announcement, all of my future releases will be printed with poisonous water-soluble ink. Yeah, But yeah, uh, PDFs. There's a lot of things you can do. I mean, beyond the bookmarking, you could actually link text to text. So you literally click on that thing that's referencing the back of the book. It could take you there. And then vice versa. It can take you back. Um, and that requires a layout person to A, know what they're doing. B, want to spend the enormous amount of time that does take. But we have the technology to do that. And I think well, maybe now that you all know about it, supply and demand will take over and it'll become common practice soon. Well, not soon, because like I said, no one likes change. Um, and even links to websites within PDFs will redirect you to the website. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot of snazzy things we can do with PDFs that, well, to be honest, it's just a lot of work and we kind of choose not to sometimes. Uh, but uh, I, I know over the frogs here, we're trying to get better at that. Um and with accessibility too, which is a whole different ball game, um, which it's a whole different topic. So I, I will hold off on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of think that uh, I don't know if PDFs. I'm not gonna say they have their days numbered, but I almost feel like that kind of app roll twenty, uh, f- you know, whatever uh, fantasy grounds insert your kind of app of choice is gonna sort of bypass. People, I mean, it's it kind of reminds me of Blu-ray. Like, I actually went to, I got to go see Blu-rays when they were in their sort of proto form before they'd come out, and we got this run through of all the stuff that you could do with Blu-rays, and you could do amazing things. And it's funny every time I look at Blu-rays, like they just put less and less work into them. Like the best Blu-rays, as far as using as much as of the actual Blu-ray tech as they could, and they never got around to using all. Or at the beginning when it was new, now nobody gives a 
anything about what's on your Blu-ray because digital systems have just surpassed it. And I kind of think that all this stuff with PDFs, yeah, it's great. It does take a lot of work. It takes the kind of know-how, but it's just like, I think people are going to put their energy and effort into either integrating with stuff, existing services and apps or, you know, creating their own apps to do that. I mean, it's like anything. Photoshop can do everything under the sun, right? Do we use all the tools of Photoshop for everything? No. I don't know that there's any one person that knows all the tools for Photoshop. There's just so much there. And yeah, we're, uh, we're going to take the parts that we like, and we always find out about something new that we never knew that this piece of software could do before. And, oh, yeah, man, that would have been great to know six months ago when I needed it. Yeah, Paypex, I do want to hear about the accessibility stuff because I'm really interested in that. What kind of what kind of uh, initiatives are over at the Frog Gods as far as uh, accessibility? Well, we just partnered with uh, an accessibility nonprofit called Dots RPG. Um they make braille 3d printed braille dice at the moment but they're they're trying to partner with a lot of people in the industry for getting readers um for pdfs because the the main issue there is the it goes back to layout honestly um it doesn't translate well on the readers it skips around especially when it comes to images and as we were going over box text you know how we just have simple creatures for monsters and very little description about those these days. Well, part of it is embedding the description into the image itself for the reader, for the people that have visual uh, problems. And that's a fascinating thing to me. Like, you don't even have to alter the layout of the PDF other than embedding into the image, and the reader just picks it up. I find that kind of stuff fascinating. Um, but even more detail, because we, we ooh and ah over cool pictures, right? Well, the more detail or words you put in there, the more descriptive it is to the, the people that are visually impaired. Um, and it, like I said, it'll skip around. Like if you don't do an accessibility PDF, it'll skip around for them. And sometimes you get garbly gook, like with bolding and italics. These be formatted a certain way and spaced a certain way. Um, but it, it's just a little bit more work for a lot more game for a lot more players. Um and, and that's just the visually impaired stuff. Uh, we're looking into other stuff for um, other kind of disabilities that we can help improve the game for. And I don't uh, – there's very few – well, I, I want to say it's it, it, it's a market that we should have been paying attention to from the get-go. And I'm sad that we haven't. But now that we were being – stuff is being brought to our attention – um, we're going to try to do a lot better with that. And I'd like to see the market as a whole kind of trend toward that, making games for everyone, right? Just a little more work. Um, but yeah, that's a hard sell. Yeah, for sure. I, I know the images thing, that's, that's very similar. It's pretty much the same as, as on the web in general, using alt tags and using longer descriptive uh, text options to add stuff for readers. I didn't realize even that was a, that you could do that for... That that metadata had some kind of entry, and you know that you could add that for images in a layout program. So that's really good that you can do it. And it's good on the frogs for kind of trying to get into it because yeah, there's a, there's probably a, you know a ton of people in who could use that. And I just can't imagine myself if you had to put up with a book that you know you couldn't get through in a linear fashion and fashion to make sense of because it was all scrambling up and, and jumbling around on you. Right, and they're also trying to do Braille books, um, the company dots, that is. And they're, they're not making it for mass market production. 
no one's going to have their own set of Braille books in their home. I'm sorry. Um, the reason for that <laughs> is if you're not familiar, and I didn't know myself until they showed me, um, is Braille books compared to what we use uh, for us sighted people or 10 times, and that may be a kind low number, bigger than a, a, a book that we are used to just because the way Braille works. So um, they're actually donating things to like libraries or group organizations like that, uh, the Braille copies, because they, they want to get them out there because people still use Braille or may not have access to readers um, and because readers are expensive. They cost money. Um, and... But yeah, I, I saw one for the first time and compared to what I would use, um, and it was like, well, damn. <laughs> that's a, that's a looks expensive. And she said, yes, it is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Datum threw in there in the chat that he was talking to VB Word of Elthos fame about, uh, I, I guess about, uh, well, he says, let me just say, he says about this. I was trying to figure out what the this was referenced to, but I guess about this general topic of maybe layout and stuff. And he's saying our core demographic is generally creative, resourceful, industrious. How do you give value to this, to that market? Uh, it's a really non-specific comment. So I'm more than happy to talk about it more. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I don't know, coming from, obviously I'm not someone who has published a bunch of books as of yet on, on this thing. I think you can, I mean, I think the best thing to do is really, you can go to Kickstarter, frankly, and just look at the projects that just explode on Kickstarter, and you can kind of see the things that appeal to people. When I look at board games, a lot of the board games that do really well on Kickstarter, it's just tons of minis. People just get all in love with having a bunch of bunch of physical minis in these giant boxes the size of steamer trunks that are just filled with minis. As far as the kind of things that I look for, for me, like I like I like reading settings. I don't ever use them because I just I just always get caught in wanting to do my own thing. But I look for what what kind of stuff basically can I steal? What kind of great ideas? What kind of great mechanics? What kind of great oh this thing has great tables of encounters, so I can use that. Oh, this kind of things has that. So if I was looking at a project product from the outside, you know, if I could flip through it in a bookstore, that's the kind of thing that I'm looking at. Looking for myself, what kind of resources can I grab from this? bits and pieces that I like. Is it seem like it's easy? Does it seem like it's written in an engaging way? I think art can sometimes play a role. I, I try not to pay too much attention to the art because after the first time I look at it, I'm probably not going to look at it that much, but obviously art is a big deal. It seems like across the board. But those are the kind of things I look for. Uh, Pex, Alan, what do you guys kind of look for when you're looking at products as far as what you want to support or if you feel like you're something you want to throw money at? What, what kind of things appeal to you? Uh, quality. I, I want something that that's that's done. I mean, it can be good on mine a little bit more dressed up. So I look for, well, the ah pieces like people look for minis, um, but more so uh, for um, there we go. Uh, more so for uh, like uh, like special handouts or. Um, well, I'm trying to put it into words. Uh, beyond the book, uh, uh, things that enhance the, either the book quality, like gold leafing or a ribbon in the book, things like that. Um, but 
what I re- really get excited for or like things like what Beetle Grimm does, those kind of stuff, I think enhances the gameplay. I'm a fan of it personally, but not for everyone. Whenever I find things, uh, whenever, what I look for when I find that, uh, uh, Alan EXE has crashed and must shut down. Okay, hold on. All right. Um, whenever I uh, look at new products, the things I'm looking for are cool ideas that somebody has spent a lot of time implementing that I can use that I don't have time to implement myself. Let me steal this for right now. Like weather tables are a good idea. Certain new spins on encounter tables, mechanics that I can pick up and run with. Uh, Are there any ideas that I could put my own spin on and steal wholesale and start using immediately? Um, I don't really care as much about the artwork that's used. Um, or the or the packaging, or whether or not it comes with a bunch of little bitty gotta have them toys or minis and whatnot, because those are just things that I'm going to lose <laughs> at some point. Um, but yeah, it's uh, things that I can use that will make my game better. I'm a total believer in cannibalizing other game systems for what you can use. And if that's all people want to do with my stuff, hey, that's great. I want people to cannibalize my crap if that's going to help them have a better game. For sure. So, Pex, uh, have you ever bought any of these? Have you bought a Beetle Grimm thing or one of these uh, prop sets? Yeah, I have the one, um, the, the, like the one I linked just there in chat. And for those that can't see because you're listening to a podcast, uh, basically what these are is um, I'm horrible with the name uh, Nyarlathotep, Call of Cthulhu game. And uh, yeah, I know you're laughing because I said it wrong. Um, <laughs> Uh, Don't hurt yourself, man. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, the newspaper. Uh, what, what they did is the, the the game itself comes with handouts. So what this company did is they took those handouts and they actually used authentic paper or replicated paper of the time period um, to improve those handouts. So they aren't just generic handouts. These are like souped up handouts with authentic paper, lettering, fonts. Um, and also included are physical things, like it, things that the players would be investigating. Uh, if you never played a Call of the Cthulhu game, it's very investigatory. So things they would have to analyze or puzzle solving, they have a physical handout for that, or the puzzle itself. Um, I find it adds to that immersion uh, aspect a little bit more. Um, and I'm not knocking Theater of the Mind at all when, when I'm ooing and aahing over this. Theater of the Mind's perfectly fine. You may get more out of it or, or mileage out of it. Um, good, uh, different strokes, different folks. Um, but for me, uh, in my tables, I, I like the physical stuff a bit more as I found that for us, it, it, well, all the, all the things I, all the positive things I just mentioned are there. Um, and people get immersed, people ooh and ah over that. This is so cool. I can't believe I'm holding this in my hand or, Oh, I, I really like the way this feels. I had no idea because what I was thinking was totally different. Absolutely, I mean, it really puts the theatrical, you know, in the theater. And I don't think it's necessarily anti-theater of the mind. There's nothing that says that just because you're not using minis on a grid that you can't give handouts or other kind of props and things. I'm all, I'm all for it. I'm interested. Do you run these multiple times? What do you do once the year the adventure's over and you've got this handouts and stuff? Do you? save it for using when you're running con games or do you sell it? Do you give them away? What's your, what's your plan for these things? Once the initial use is done. 
Oh, I, I keep them for sure because a they, they don't do very many of these. Uh, this one still available. There's another one they only made like a thousand copies. It's like the deluxe model of what I just linked, and that's about runs you about a thousand bucks. But there's more things in it. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going to keep them for resellability. When in my elder years, honestly, when I hey, you have cancer, <laughs> you you need to pay for your hospital bill. Like shit, like you're right, I do. Well, I don't guess I need this here piece of folded paper anymore. I'll take what you give me. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll trade you books for shots, right? Absolutely. Um, well, the uh, kind of handouts that I like the best are the ones that actually come with modules and stuff that you can print off yourself. And if you want to go crazy and get yourself some coffee and some printer paper and age it up and then print that on there, that's great. Take an iron to it and make it nasty, make it look like it's been road hard and put away wet a few times. Those are okay. Uh, as long as you can make things easily yourself and give those away. I find that players are really receptive to that. They get this piece of paper that is literally falling apart that's all of about half a day old, but you can't tell it. And now this is a treasure for them. You know, they've uh, they've got this. They get to keep it with them. I've seen these people lay these things out and unfold them like they wish they had tweezers <laughs> to make sure this old map doesn't completely fall apart. And it, it's something to watch everybody just just light up to that. And if it's something like that, you can easily make yourself. I, I think those are the best kind, the, the reproducible ones that doesn't cost you a lot in the way of time or money to, to make yourself. Um, as far as buying them from other people, well, the pre-made kind, that that can get old fast. And uh, I think Pex is right. You might want to look at that as a retirement plan. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right. And also, there's another factor in these. I mean, I, I, mean, I link to a more extravagant thing than most. With the, with the rise of 3D printing, I mean, printing your own props is very becoming more affordable, I would say. Um, I, they used to be thousands and thousands of dollars. You can get a 3D printer now for under a grand, probably under 600 honestly. You can get uh, them for about 200 bucks. Right, right. They come down. So you can, oh, yeah. you can if, you, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, I'm not. Because that's the reason I don't paint my own minis, and that's the reason I don't make my own train, and I don't make my own props. Because <laughs> I don't have skills for this or the time. Um, but I, I do have some money to throw at this, so I'll buy things like this. But for 3D printing, um, yeah, I, I think it's there. And you can, I don't know, ever want to make a, your own scrolls or potions? What's the difference between a healing potion and a posing potion? Hey, let me print it out and show you. Yeah. That's probably not the best thing to end with. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I'm on board. I'm on board. You're absolutely right. If you can do that sort of thing and you don't mind doing it, if you love the game enough to actually pour yourself into it or throw money at it until the bad problem goes away, then do that. Because at the end of the day, what we do is rhetoric and entertainment. That's the business we're in. And if you're not entertaining, well, you're in the wrong business. <laughs> You you need to. I would um, I would encourage everybody to step up and just give it that little bit of extra. 
to uh, to really magnify the value that the people at your table are getting and the people who are buying your product. Absolutely. And as Datum pointed out in the chat, he says his perspective is as a performer of RPGs rather than a writer. And yeah, all these things are props. I mentioned, you know, they add a, add a higher theatrical value. And yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it, right? Is you're coming as a group to perform uh, an RPG. So anything that can help you get into character, get into that place is going to be, it's going to add to the fun. And these things seem to definitely, definitely do that. And yeah, 3D printing has made it possible. You could do all this stuff yourself or if you've you know you got more time you got more money than time then uh, you know these different services could definitely do it. and then not, not everything is easy to do on your own and getting aged paper and all that stuff could be a pain so these guys will just do it for you which is great yeah but i mean if you don't have the time you need a baking sheet a sheet of paper some coffee and an iron and don't tell your wife tell her you bought it at the store and you put all these things together just right and you have wonderful wonderful paper that looks aged that uh, you can smell and it'll wake you right up. I Absolutely. <laughs> I'll buy it from you when you're done. <laughs> yes, sir. I'll be glad to do that. Let, let my people get in touch with your people and we will work on you some coffee paper. So, so how does that work? You, you, you dip the, you, what do you do? You, you, uh, you just, you just put like, coffee stains. You just kind of just let some coffee drip on it. Do you soak it in coffee? Uh, give me the recipe. Okay. I'm interested in this. Okay. Here's the recipe. Go ahead and get yourself some paper. Copy paper is fine. Don't buy the expensive stuff because you are going to be ruining it. That's the point. <laughs> Go ahead and get a, a baking sheet with a raised lip on it. You probably got one, and this won't hurt. An old pan that you can wash off will be fine as long as the paper will physically fit on it. Then we have to make the coffee that's going to wake the dead. You have to take this, and have you ever... Um, made up a slurry of salt water or sugar water, you know that there's a certain amount of um, of um, solute that that water is going to be able to hold. Well, it's the same thing with coffee. There's a certain amount it's going to be able to hold. You want to get close to that point, and I suggest that you use instant coffee for this. You make this stuff up, and I got my God. Wait, are you saying, are you saying I shouldn't craft some fine artisanal uh, coffee for, for, for this? <laughs> well, it's your money. You do you. But I find a old, the, uh, the uh, always save black and yellow label, my God, you must be desperate if you drink this coffee, is perfect <laughs> for this job. And then you, you mix this stuff up and use little red Solo cups and whatnot. Uh, lay one sheet of paper in and then drench it. Just pour this all over it and make sure it all gets covered. Flip the paper over, make sure all that side gets covered, and then you are going to be horribly messy, so I suggest you use towels and gloves for this. Pull the paper out and scrape it along the side as you pull it out to get as much of the stuff off as you can. Lay this down on a paper towel or on a uh, on a cloth towel that you don't care about. Then grab an iron that you should have been getting hot all this time, and then you dry it off with the iron. You let the heat of the iron turn it up to as hot as you can get it. Let that boil the coffee off. And you'll know when you're making progress. Flip it over. Do it the other way. Be careful that you don't tear the paper. If you want to go back and add some more texture, dip your fingers in it. Throw some splatters. Whatever you need to do on the paper, dry those off the same way. And when you're done, the paper will be warped and buckled, and it'll have these little things on it. If you want blood, use iodine drops. That's great for blood. And then go ahead. Most printers have a manual feed. 
have your filter um, or have your um, your document already ready, put this in through the manual feed and let it print on the paper. And when you're done, you wind up with something that I think looks pretty good. You wouldn't happen to have any images of this you could throw in the chat. I mean, I could look one up, but if you have one that you've made and took a photo of, that would be... Awesome. I don't have one right now. I, I wish I did. Um, sorry. <laughs> Don't have that right now. Uh, I can get one, and I will put it up. I'll uh, go ahead and throw this to Pex, and y'all can chat amongst yourselves while I get that photo, but I will have it for you. You mean you weren't prepared for something that I just threw out randomly to have in front of you? For shame. Uh, for shame. My, my shame knows no bounds. Yes, I am. <laughs> Miserable, unscrutable, or we'll go find, we'll, we'll go find pretty picture. I know you have to do it now. <laughs> don't, don't run off to it now. Maybe uh, if you have a chance next time you do one, uh, pop it in. Or if you have one sitting around after the chat, throw it in there. But uh, I was just curious if you had is... one handy, like a glamour shot of this uh, of this thing, because it because it definitely seems really cool. I'll, I'll definitely will try it at some point soon. Okay, this is within arm's reach of me. So you just grab this. It's already made up. I'll be right back. You do your thing. <laughs> What's he grabbing? He's grabbing, uh, you know, he just gave the recipe for his uh, using coffee and an iron to create, a, I guess, a weathered paper look. And I think he had one nearby. I asked if he had a photo and he was like, well, I got one nearby. So he's going to generate one. Do you, have ah, any, okay. do you have any homemade prop recipes? I confess I have none. Uh, no, I buy all my stuff because, like I said, I'm not I'm not lazy. It's just I don't have time. So what's your favorite one that you've got? I mean, not necessarily a whole box, but if there was one prop that you were just, you just love or that just, you know, beyond what it, whatever it is in the moment or in context, just which one was just amazing, cool, crazy. Um, I have these, uh, what do they call it? These Egyptian uh, little staff things. So it's what they used to hold in their hands. They're kind of like wand size, but they're made of metal. Uh, but they're light because uh, the metal they use. The, onks, uh, the ones yes, that kind of have onks. the loop at the top. Yeah, those. Uh, I, have, I have a set of those that I use for an Egyptian game, and as the DM holding those all, at all times, using them as like pointer aids was just fun for me as a DM. Well, those are really cool, and you can always throw those in anytime you want to just have kind of a neat factor. Yeah, they, they're definitely generic enough that you can take them out of whatever context and throw them in another one. Right, uh, and uh, I, I'm big into Call of Cthulhu, obviously, so I have little um, HP Lovecraftian things here and there, uh, tablets, uh, odd inscription things um, that are like plaques or engraved kind of stuff. I, I love stuff like that. Uh, I, I fanboy over that <laughs> myself, but uh, that, that's me and other people like other things as well. I know the uh, – it's not ivory. It's it's the knockoff of ivory where you know you're not killing animals to have it. But there's a lot of those on the net as well. If you want to have that kind of aesthetic going around, ah, nice. Whoa, that was interesting. Uh, yeah, I have a little uh, like a sleeping Cthulhu figurine. Somehow I got it at a job I was at. They had this, <laughs> and it's funny because it's in. It, it's pretty heavy, and so I have it sort of in a, a closed bookcase. It's got a glass cover, and it's kind of sitting there just on top of some books. And uh, my daughter likes to tease me that she's going to wake him up, you know, because he's asleep. But I said, don't wake him up. That'll be bad. <laughs> uh, the sleeping Cthulhu, and it's all good. Well, we all know how the world ends, folks. A little girl wakes up a doll. That's it. Did you find did you, you found the, the, your example paper? 
I did find the example, and I am waiting on my phone to reboot, and I will get that to you because it decided just to take a nap for no reason. And <laughs> okay, you, mean, I think, you mean your phone is not Linux too, and, and never needs to be rebooted? Um, yeah, it's the bad kind, though. It's the kind that Google got hold of. Here, let me <laughs> let me get this picture taken. I think we so. I don't know if we have anything else to do on on uh, on props and Did you have any topics you want to talk about? Did you want to talk? Is there any kind of swords and wizardry stuff you want to talk about? What What do you got? Did you have anything prepared? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I got one more thing on the props. Uh, another thing I like to use. Um, the, if you're not familiar, they're called puzzle boxes, and they make some really neat looking ones, especially the wooden ones. So what I like to do is when I have a puzzle in a in a dungeon, I I can pop one of these out. I I can take out whatever crappy prize they put in and put in my own little prize or uh, my own little uh, note or whatever in, in the puzzle box. So it gives them a tangible thing to figure out. It's, it's again, it's, it's more of a play aid, um, and I, I just like doing. I like doing stuff like that. Doesn't mean you have to or need to. Um, have, you, have you ever had that argument from people that you know my players got eighteen intelligence, so I should not have to physically or mentally open up the puzzle box and i say great prove it <laughs> uh yes i have gotten that but uh, i that, think that the whole is point answer. is that they as the player cannot prove it because they only have a nine intelligence or whatever and their character has i mean it's, it's one of those interesting questions i always think of it as, as like uh look your role your this is why i guess i on a little bit of a tangent i don't like the name intelligence for that attribute because it's really more about maybe memory or learning or something of that nature. Because it's, it's you know, I, when you role play a character, you are taking over their brain. It's like their brain's been swapped out and your brain as a person's been put in there. So it doesn't matter if you take over Albert Einstein's brain. In that moment when you're role playing Albert Einstein, it's like you're in, what was that show? Uh, not Sliders. What was that, that show back in the day where the guy would take over different people and have to figure out kind of what to fix? Quantum Leap. Thank you. Quantum yeah. leap, you know, he quantum leaps into a body. He can't just say like, oh, well, I'm in Einstein's body, so I have you know, Einstein's brain. It's like, no, you're going to have to figure it out what would Einstein do with what you know and what you have. That's always the kind of thing I use. But it's definitely interesting with the puzzles in general, definitely with physical puzzles. Did you, did you when people were bringing that up to you, was that in con games that you ran or was that in your home games? What was the context? I was honestly looking for... Um, props just to have around the house around the table and um somebody mentioned on a forum that hey puzzle boxes make great prizes and then i kind of leapfrogged that like you know what instead of just an aesthetic around the room i'm gonna make my players use this because this sounds fun and then i tried it out and they loved it because they loved trying to figure it out because it was more of a um an interactive I, I think players well i'm not gonna say players i'm gonna say my table likes interactivity a lot um, with tangible things, so maybe we're weirdos like that, but that that's that's how we do. Now, when you say puzzle boxes, <clears throat> what kind of puzzle boxes are you talking about? I mean, when I hear the word, I think of something made in the eighteen hundreds out of wood and and uh, and and the tears of children and whatever else they could find, and string all this together with brass and um, it's a really intricate thing to try to figure out how to shape this into something else or that little that little box from Hellraiser or something like that. What are you uh, <clears throat> define that for me a little bit better? Maybe I missed it. 
Oh, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Um, in here, I'll put an image. Also with prices. <laughs> hey! <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're made of wood, usually cheap old wood or, or balsamic wood or whatever. You, you can go as high or low budget as you want on these. But usually what I do is they have some crappy little prize or a card that says, hey, you won in there. And I, I, I swap that out with whatever A can fit in there and B what I think fits for whatever they're trying to solve. Um, either like a little crappy gem. Hey, you got a gemstone out of it. Hooray. Um, that you can get at like a dollar store. I'll, I'll put a, like a journal note in there or something, or one of my handouts, like I linked in there earlier with the Cthulhu stuff. Um, some require keys, some require turning knobs, this, that, and the other. And they can go from easy and complexity to, hey, you really do need an 18 intelligence in real life to figure this out. My cousin's a super fan of those puzzle boxes, and his brother gets them for him you know, for presents all the time, and he just rips right through them. He's like a expert at those things at this point. Right, but when, when I look at these, I'm like, that's exactly what I would see in a dungeon outside of it needing to be aged, but good luck finding those. Like you said, you need the antique versions, and I, I don't have the budget, so I buy these. Yeah, you said rips right through those, and suddenly I had this picture in my mind of the barbarian solves the puzzle box. Yeah, the, the, I, I would I would feel bad if someone had just spent 50, 50 bucks on the puzzle box and the player goes, "Hey, no, I'm going to do this barbarian style." And just takes a hammer, and just <laughs> smacks it to pieces. Me found thing inside. I slide the puzzle box toward me. I solve it and give him the thing for a smash. I have a lot of bad ideas like that. <laughs> See gift number two. What's gift number two? Oh, I got to scroll up, I bet. Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah, the thing is, I, I you know, I used to be big on the puzzles. I think the puzzle box actually is a pretty good use of the, I guess, logic puzzle. Because one of the things that happened to me one time was someone failed to give us the piece of vital information we needed to actually figure out the logic puzzle. So it literally was unsolvable. And of course, it was either after a long time or we skipped, finally skipped just whatever, got past it or skipped it. And then he was like, oh, yeah, I forgot this one bit. And we're like, yeah, that's the one bit we needed to know <laughs> to actually do it. And that kind of soured me on the puzzle. So I'm like, yeah, that's the part of the thing that I would forget, you know, to give some vital vital piece. But when you actually have a physical box there, at least you know it's solvable, right? You know that everything is there to do it. And you're not worried about misspeaking something or forgetting something or doing something that's going to throw the whole whole thing off. I got, I got a, I got my favorite one here. It was just when we were starting these, and they were trying to like spin the box or the corners of the box and open it this way and that and the other, and and the solution was very very simple. You turned the box over and the keys taped under the box. It took them an hour to figure this out, and I I had a good old laugh when they did. Yeah, clue that's that, a good man. one. That reminds me of an old MacGyver episode uh, that it was these kids in like an MIT kind of school and they had to create these locks. And I think it was the first kid, either the kid whose locks survived the longest, you, know, you had to kind of get in the room and you had to figure. And so it was all about these kids were creating these sort of puzzles around these, their locks in the rooms. And you had to, I think it was whoever's kid like made it through, I don't know, a day or whatever without their, their door being unlocked. But the one kid, he was the friend of MacGyver or whatever. His his 
his thing was really ingenious because what you had to do is you kind of had to, you had to have a keyhole so you could, or not a keyhole or a, a hole you could look into to see in the room. And that was supposed to give you ideas about the puzzle, how to figure it out. What he did was he had a miniature version of the room and in the, in, in that keyhole. And so you'd look into this miniature version. And when you think when you at the, the door was actually unlocked from the beginning, but the, but you look through the keyhole would make it look like it had a really complicated lock there so this whole thing of fooling you into thinking you had to do something was in reality all you had to do was open the door. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh yeah. Oh, what's that gif? Clue, clue bat. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah, you know, that just not to go on a, a tangent, but there's so much anime out there that people just reference that stuff, and I am just not. I feel like people will go around and like give all these kind of references stuff and oh this is a reference to that that and I'm like I have no idea what any of these animes mm. I'm so beyond the curve behind the curve <laughs> on anime. Well for me this is an anime. This is just random uh this is just random stuff that you get for keeping up with memes on the internet. Uh Imgur is a site that I go to all the time whenever I'm bored and people just post Tons and tons and tons of stuff. I think, to my shame, that I can probably carry on an entire conversation with memes if I have I to. Did, <laughs> about the, being a memes, did you guys hear about the mountain meme that was just starting, I think, or just came up recently? Apparently, a guy posted on Twitter. And I don't know what happened, but the guy's account, because I went to look up his original Twitter post, and it was just, his account was suspended by Twitter. So I don't know. I don't, <laughs> know, I don't know what happened between when this kind of got memed and, and maybe he got into trouble for something or other, but. Essentially, he was running a game and he had decided to send his players and sort of, I guess, a a flashback or a little time skip back in time to see the founding of the city. That was so they, you know, they see the city in present time, then they go back in time to see kind of the what was happening, the founding of the city. But by accident, he in the flashback part, he described a mountain, I guess, behind the city or near the city, you know, in the background. But in present time, there was no mountain. <laughs> So he switched back to present, and one of the players goes, "Oh, I really, I'm really interested to find out what happened to that mountain." And suddenly he's like, "Oh gosh, what? Yes, what did I, what did I do? What do I do? With <laughs> How do I figure out what happened?" And apparently he had a Twitter poll about uh, his, you know, possible solutions to the mountain problem. Did somebody, you know, wish away? Did it just get up and walk away? Like always, oh, things that happened to the mountain, and it spawned um, at least on the what I was seeing on the D and D things on Reddit, all these memes about, you know, the mountain. So it was kind of, I, I don't think I'd have been, that's about as close as I've been to sort of the genesis of a meme, to yeah. actually, you know, so it's kind of funny to see it, but I wanted to see the original thing and he got suspended by Twitter or something or other. So nice. Uh, I do remember uh, now that you describe it, I remember tangentially touching that and I never got back to it, but it does ring a very distant bell. That's not a, <clears throat> that's not an, uh, Alan EXE has crashed and must close. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you like it when you just can't talk? Whenever you just can't English anymore? Because I'm having that moment right now. Please forgive me. <laughs> it's morning, and coffee is required. It's the healing potion of choice today. Uh, hey, wow. my computer's on. Awesome. 
<laughs> Nobody told me. That always helps. Do you not do you not Discord on your computer? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do it exclusively on my computer. It's just I have my tang all tangled up around my eye teeth and I can't see what I'm saying. Oh, I got you. Well, I got a, I got a segue if we want to do a different topic. Absolutely. Segue away. <laughs> so I've been doing some research on uh, the old O&D and D material, the third party stuff. And uh, I think you guys know Jason Zavoda. Uh, he's done a few of these chats before. You may not. Anyway, I found one of his old articles and uh, there were a few things on there that I had no idea existed. Uh, for example, the dragon's foot. Uh, dragon's foot. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a name I haven't seen in a while. I just caught it on the link. Oh yeah, he may reference that. Um, it's the like the old warlock uh, supplements and the going to get this name wrong. Arduin Grimoire trilogy and all the world's monsters and stuff. So I I was. Um, Segwaying into that, um, I guess thir- using third-party or non-core company material as um, core material in your games, how do you guys feel about that? Or uh, puzzle-piecing your system and stuff together uh, with other resources outside of, uh, I guess, I don't know, we'll go more modern here, outside of the core books from like Watsi or something. I'm absolutely for it. Uh, all the stuff that's out there, other people have done a lot of heavy lifting for you. They've got ideas that you can't have because you've only got one brain, and you might as well use it if you find something that's great. Now, if you want to start publishing it and start making money off of it, I think we've ran into a problem. But if you just want to use it to make your game at home better, go crazy. I mean, the way I look at it is when I'm looking at third-party materials, it's I just want to know that the stuff is has been developed and thought out in a, in a way that makes sense. You know, it's kind of like a, the difference between, okay, something that, you know, the frog gods put out. Yeah, I know that that stuff's been gone through the ringer and tested out versus, oh, I'm just going to go print something out from D&D Wiki. It's like, uh, not so much on the, the latter one. Uh, but, you know, as, if, as far as just the use of third-party materials in general, yeah, I, I think it's great because I'm all about that anyway. We talked before about what I look for in products, that's the kind of stuff I look for anyways. What can I grab and use? And it doesn't have to be, I'm not someone who feels like it has to be first party to be good or be, you know, uh, belong to the game. It's whatever you can use and fit in and, you know, you can do it. And some of the best stuff of all time has come out of third party material. So yeah, do it. Now I will go ahead and play devil's advocate here just for a second since nobody else is doing it. Uh, whenever I first started back in 1991, I was with a group that believed vehemently that if TSR didn't do it, it wasn't good enough to go in. You didn't do that. You had to stick to official storylines. You had to stick to official this and that and the other thing. And and it was it was kind of oppressive. And I didn't like it then, and I don't like it now. But uh, there are people who do indeed want to do it that way. If there was one, there's two. And <laughs> right. Um, there are people who want to have that official timeline, that official storyline that follows through, and they don't want it, finger quotes, polluted by third-party material or or anything that breaks the official narrative. And to those people, hey, more power to you, I guess, but I don't want to play like that. Yeah, I think, I mean, that having gone through uh, the th- third edition, just glut of third-party stuff, 
you know, I, I could definitely see in those situations. And I think Pathfinder maybe has a similar thing. It's just with not even outside of what Paizo puts out, but just as far as the, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of creep of the power creep involved in things that you, you sometimes want or need really to just tone back from third party material or even first party materials. There just ends up can be so much of the quality is not all the same. It's not checked the same. And you, there, there is sometimes a good reason. I would never say not to for story reasons, but just as far as consistency, what you can trust. You know, again, if you're, if, if you're, your choice is, if you're saying to me, let's say, hey, we can either play with Watsy material or we can play with Watsy material plus D&D Wiki, I'm saying, yeah, we're just playing with Watsy material because I'm not, <laughs> I don't trust D&D Wiki. And some of these eras where you just had, and maybe even now is one of them to a certain certain extent where you just have an explosion of material from all kinds of people and not all of it is well thought out or well checked or well balanced or whatever you want to think about, then it pays to have a critical eye on what material you're going to put in before you just drop it into your game. It's a lot easier to not put something in your game than to put it in, find out it's broken, and then have to figure out how to get it out and not upset anybody or, you know, measure <clears throat> anyone. Yeah, I've, I've totally ran into that before when uh, TSR was doing their publishing on things. Um, you did get a consistent quality. And we're not going to talk about psionics. Second edition psionics never happened. We'll, we'll move right on along. But for the most part, you had a consistent quality and everything was balanced together um, as a whole. And you start getting third-party materials and all of a sudden, you know, what is this? Um, and there are people who are still purists like that today. I've... Uh, they're purists to the point that they won't even look at another system. I've been at a convention and had a guy come up to me, and t- the sum of our conversation was that if it's not Pathfinder, it doesn't exist, and he turned around and walked away. Second edition doesn't exist. We went from first to third, obviously. Now, um, <laughs> hey, fair is fair. <laughs> uh, kidding aside, me, I like to, I like to hack things um, and tinker with things, and hey, I, I broke the game. Let's see if I can unbreak it now. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's fun for me. Um, uh, some of the hacking I don't introduce into my games. I, I just like to tinker with things and see what happens and, uh, and, and poke and prod with it to see. Because I, I think we all, in our heart of hearts, we want to make a better game. There, there's got to be a better mousetrap, right? Uh, and I just like playing with those kind of scenarios and stuff. So Because um, there's so much so many materials from either blogs or third-party books or uh, DM advice from uh, your, your counter monkey talk, talking with your fellow GMs. Um, and you want to try things out to see if they work or if it's fun or, hmm, let me put it to paper and see if it makes sense of the Nope, nope, this is garbage. Hot garbage. It's going away. Well, I mean... I never have bad ideas, but I can understand why people who do have bad ideas would want to take them back. I also don't have personality flaws. (laughs) And this is where my wife chimes in and says, honey, I think we discovered one of your personality. (laughs) Yeah, I I would find it hard to just have someone who who just would dismiss anything because it doesn't have a certain, you know, uh, publisher's mark on it, but yeah, I guess every everyone's got their super fans. Yeah, well, if you have a good brand and that's your seal of approval, your symbol of quality, uh, and you're known for doing good quality control, then I would say that's that's a badge of honor, really, uh, to be able to do that. You can trust that as long as you've made your brand trustworthy. 
uh, if you are just random grab stuff off the internet and throw it together, my God, the mess that was 3.5 and that open game license. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it offered a lot of material, but it uh, ran the gamut for uh, for quality control, too. Yeah, I mean, which isn't very different from now. They've done a better job. I don't know if it's a better job, but we're just in a better place as far as just with the way the internet is now and how you can get more opinions and reviews on things to sort of let the cream rise to the top. But there's, yeah, there's tons of material out there and there's a lot out there that's really good and there's a lot out there that's really not good. And yeah. fifth edition, <laughs> fifth edition, definitely the way it's balanced and everything, it is, you know, it is a more technical thing if you're trying to get it right than say doing something for an OSR game where you can really kind of spitball and sort of be rough around the edges and it, it not, not 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 have such a dramatic effect on things as it can have in in fifth edition. Well, I think the I think we've gotten better because a we have more of a open source with reviewers and stuff. I I don't recall anybody reviewing ATSR product in the early days, other than buying it and trying it out at your local hobby shop um, and seeing how it goes. Um, I think the because internet being internet, uh, just the source information fires off faster because of all the opinion reviewers we have and unboxings and quality control. Also, we've learned from the past, like we we've kind of, companies kind of figured out. Well, players love this, players don't love this because we tried it before and it didn't work. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Dave has put in, and, and Dana have gone a little, said it's a little bit about fourth edition. The thing is about fourth edition for me is that it, it, in some ways it was in the wrong niche and it was ahead of its time because Gloomhaven, which was the number one game in the world, or at least it's according to Board Game Geek for, I don't know, a year or something, to me is just a, in some ways a little bit more streamlined, but probably overall less good for what it does, fourth version of fourth edition. I remember when I, when I played it, I was like, this is kind of like fourth edition with a couple of things thrown in. To, to remove the DM and make it more play it on, you know, just not straight up on a board board game kind of game. But that, that really is like, wow, this is really fourth edition. Fourth edition to come out now and been able to spin that off in a different way as opposed to coming out when it did with the way it was put out, then it probably would have been thought of a lot better. And by the way, fifth edition Trojan horses a lot of, I don't say a lot, but a fair number of fourth edition type mechanics into the game. But they just kind of repackaged them in a way that I think didn't raise a lot of people's hackles the way the fourth edition version's gone because things like your encounter powers and daily powers, those are your short rest, long rest powers. It's really the same thing. But they just they just changed the lingo to make it a little bit less off putting, I think. And the and the way they balance it, it's not quite as balanced as uh intensely as fourth edition was in terms of things like magic abilities versus other powers. But there's a lot of the way it's balanced is the way fourth edition was balancing things. And the mechanics side of 4E, it's not bad. It, it It's a good game for a mechanical standpoint. It works. There's not a lot of problems with it. Um, it I, and, and Todd is right on the money. It got marketed poorly uh, in the way they were advertising it. Um, and if they had a do-over, a.k.a. 5E, I think they would have done things a lot better. And they did. <laughs> Again, we learned from our mistakes, apparently. Well, I... Uh, I- Congratulate you for acknowledging fourth edition was a mistake. But I had a thing that just, all kidding aside, I uh, just had something that occurred to me. <clears throat> we refer to these games as Dungeons and Dragons. 
we just call it D&D and we go on from there. But really, 1st through 5th edition, those were not the same game. Well, 1st and 2nd were really close, but they're not. They're not the same game. They're different games. And different is not better. Um, And we're not doing things with the Dungeons & Dragons logo on the front of our, our materials. But again, they're all different games with pretty similar mechanics for the most part. I mean, if you know how to role play one, it's just a matter of of minor bookkeeping to keep up with your character sheet, right? Um, we're still doing role playing. We're doing tabletop RPGs, and it just struck me as an interesting uh, reflection that these things that TSR slash Wizards of the Coast are putting out. They're they're doing five or six different games here, or they have done, and they'll probably do a sixth or a seventh, depending on how you count. Guarantee, and, and I'll, I'll tell you why, is because those first three books sell the most. And whenever you do another set of those three books, either you're reprinting or a new edition, they make a lot of money. And why break away from that formula, I say? Well, I mean, if everybody's got a copy of your book, nobody's going to buy another copy of your book. You've got to keep publishing. They're not a game company. They're a publishing company. And they have to publish to make their money because if God calls judgment, their rent is still due. And they have got, you know, that mortgage. uh, (laughs) They've got to get that paid, right? Right. I mean, I think they're on their 10th, 11th printing, maybe more now, of the the core. uh, Yeah, the core books. Yeah, the, the one thing with the, when you start moving towards a subscription model is you're not necessarily reliant anymore on doing the same kind of release schedule. I know that they, I don't know how much they get, what their cut is of D&D Beyond, because I know they don't run that directly. So I don't know, but I, I assume that's what they're going to keep pushing to, is trying to get you on that subscription subscription model and, and, and sort of paying to kind of rent the online versions of things. Uh, and, and that kind of allows you to sort of break away somewhat from the traditional print cycle oh yeah it's genius they have uh, they have a bunch of unpaid developers working around the clock for them and some of them are even paying for the privilege of doing that development and they call that adventurers guild adventurers league whatever i'm sorry i can't remember exactly but you know the one i'm talking about there these are people that are making stuff for them without them having to lift a finger taking a 50 percent cut to put it up on uh, on their website for sale and they don't have to do dirt. That is amazing. And I wish that I was the smart kind of guy that would have thought of doing that first. And Datum's right. <laughs> there are no more finished products. You're absolutely right, Datum. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, I'm going to go refill my cup of coffee, but Alan, did you want to start that topic with Todd that we we did on uh, the other show? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll go ahead and I'll uh, throw it out as Todd's strapped in and ready. Oh, is this the what makes a game a game? Sure. <laughs> Since you brought it up, I'll be glad to. <laughs> uh, well, give you, so I haven't listened to that yet. So what was what was your guys' take on our what, what was your thought? 
Okay. Uh, my thought is that there are a lot of things that we do to waste our time. There are a lot of things we do to spend time. We burn time. We kill time. We look for ways to make the present hurry up and get along its business doing its thing. And some of the ways we do that are playing games. And some of the ways we do that are just kind of sitting there, vegetating, staring at the wall. Some people do drugs. Some people whittle. Some people do drugs while they whittle as they're staring at the wall. There are all kinds of things that we do to get to the future one second per second. So of all the things we do, what is it that makes a game a game? What is the difference between whittling, let's say, or doing a big bowl of drugs and playing a game? Are some things a game and some things not? How do you know what the um, how do you know what the the breaking point is when something goes from mindless time wasting to actually playing a game, like skipping rocks on a pond? When how do you make a game out of that? We've talked about that too, right? Or we've said that to ourselves. Let's make a game of it. I know you've heard it at least once. So my first thought, just off the top of my head, is that there's some kind of score attached. If, and that's why you can, and that's how, and I guess why you can gamify so many things, because you could make whittling a game if you had some kind of, right, you add the competition aspect, add some score, some kind of judgment, whether it's how fast you can whittle or who can whittle the best or who makes a more, you know, whatever. We're going to give you both a, give you a, some sort of template and can you whittle to match that template in an hour or whatever. Some way of, of adding a scoring mechanism, I think. Is for me what kind of makes it a game, and I think as far as role playing games, that score can be finishing story quests. If your goal is to throw the the ring into Mount Doom, then you you know you you win when you achieve that score that 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 end state of throwing the ring into Mount Doom. If it's a sandbox game, then maybe those characters win. You win when you reach level ten at name level or whatever goals you've set out set out for yourself, or just you know raising levels as far as levels being. A scoreboard all their own so that's that's my first I, and i'm sure there are tons of holes in it but that's 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 my first thought well that's not <clears throat> that's not a bad first thrust um uh, well what about um what about uh, solitaire what about that do you win solitaire is that a game does it qualify as a game and if so why I believe that there is a scoreboard. You either complete the solitaire or you don't. And when you complete it, you're, and this is, a, I don't know if people did this when they were playing it in person, but certainly it's true. If you play an, a solitaire app, it starts giving you your percentage winning. So you have that kind of meta score. Not only is the score as far as did you actually win the solitaire or how close you got, but then over time, how good are you at getting those completed, you know, those completed sets. So I would say yes, that the solitaire, it does have a scoring element, so I would say yes, it's a game. Well, solitaire is a is an algorithm more than it's something that you have a strategy for. Uh, you you go ahead and you run it. You can teach a computer to do this, and they have. And it's not really what I would call competitive. I've never seen competitive solitaire, and that would be hilarious or incredibly boring. And the more boring it was, the more hilarious it would be, I believe. But there must be something else to gamifying something. Um, well, I, don't, I think just because there's an algorithm to do it or you can teach computers to do it or machines to do it, to me, does not define whether it's a game or not. Because generally when you're playing Solitaire, at least when I've played it, you're not aware of the algorithm. It's 
it's almost more of a how mistake you know is do you obviously there's a part of you shuffling the cards and some some you know shuffles just aren't winnable the right cards aren't going to come out and you're just going to lose there's that part of it and the other part is do you how mistake free can you play because you can have the algorithm but if you someone calls you look away you lose your little bit of not that solitaire takes a lot of concentration but there is a certain point do you hit all the right moves because you can miss you miss one and if you miss one depending on the type of solitaire you're playing and there's more than one type of solitaire there's like a thousand types of solitaire there you know it's not just like there's it's not just the one klondike or whatever is the kind of classic one there's there's like a ton of them and some of them are, are more harder and I th- some of them are harder i think some of them are more quote unquote skill there probably is algorithms that solve all of them but i don't think that's important like i think tic tac toe is a game even if it's a super simple game that you could it's one of the first programming things when you're just learning how to program how to program something to play tic tac toe but it's to me it's still a game uh, it how solvable it is or how I, I don't know that that part of it to me at least doesn't enter into the equation and you have chess programs as well to play against a computer algorithm and well chess is very much in fact a game same with poker yeah so what is it about all these things <clears throat> i've got my philosopher's head on by the way what is it about all these things that's common that we've talked about we've talked about how well, there's ways you can play. There's luck of the draw. There's a computer that's running down move lists in chess to see exactly what its best options are and picking from those. And if you're playing against another person, yeah, then you have that thing. I think what we're looking for is that element of randomness. There has to be an element of randomness in what you do. And if you don't have that, if it's going to be bog standard the same every single time, Um, like two computers that are trained properly or even a really well-educated chicken uh, at a fair pecking out the right moves in tic-tac-toe, that's not a game anymore because it's not random. There is, if you do this, this is the response. Um, So tic-tac-toe is really not there. But if you have somebody that doesn't know what's going on and they're just randomly throwing things out, I think that might be the point where we fall over into making something a game. Now, what about if somebody, can one person be playing a game and the other one not? Let's think of Saw. How about that? What does he say? Let's play a game. He's playing a game. No one else is playing with him. There's a circumstance. <laughs> well, they're the game pieces. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and, and the random element is still there. So how is any of this relevant to what we're doing? Well, well, I... Well, as game master, go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't think it is random. He's pre-picked out his victims uh, or pieces, as you put it, um, and he made those selections based off his computer algorithm and his own brain. That whatever software wrong wiring is going on there, um, and, um, the, and I, I guess he wins most of the games himself as the computer or sociopath. Um, because they've made made sequels, right? Indeed. Indeed. Responding to Silverhand there, I guess. Um, literally pieces, he says. So how can we incorporate this idea of what is a game into uh, what we do on weekends whenever we run our, uh, our, our, our game sessions? Uh, we admit that what we're doing when we're sitting down at the table is a game. It's and there are algorithms, 
and my God, there are a bunch of metrics that we have to keep up with <laughs> for types of scoring. But there's not perfect recall of the algorithms. And this maybe plays into the randomness or not, but right? Just as there are people out there who will <laughs> follow a given algorithm uh, for, you know, for playing, a lot of people won't, even if such an algorithm exists, which is... It's one of those bones of contention, right? The people who are the optimizers who feel like you should follow the best best path and you know, you're potentially not playing it right versus the folks who say, I deliberately you know, refuse to follow the algorithms to make the best because I want to make something for a given effect. Right. Um, well, there are people who I've... <clears throat> well, let me start this thought over. Uh, I was recently talking to someone and he said that... Uh, he, he made the old fogey argument. These newfangled kids with their newfangled way that we used to play back in my day, and everybody doesn't like it, and they're just, the world's going to pot. Nobody knows how to play a good game of D&D anymore. And, okay, Boomer, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have your moment, right? So he, uh, he tells me about this, and what he's saying is that his players would come up, and they were expecting it to be like a game of The Witcher, where they allow the experience to happen to them. <laughs> nice, that's nice. Um, they let the game happen to them. They're not very interactive. They don't want to get too involved. When combat starts, yeah, sure, they'll pick up dice and they'll roll them, but nobody's checking anything out. Nobody's doing anything new. Nobody's saying, I want. And to older players like myself, this is, you, you feel like you're if that's happening at your table, that you're doing something wrong. You know, you're just not engaging with these people. And, well, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. and if that's happening, well, how do we go ahead and bring this into a game? Because they're not playing a game. They're watching an interactive movie and a barely interactive one at that. So, yeah, go ahead. The I, I think we're getting into the case of what you could do in the game. There are certain rules you can do, and we edit those rules as we go. Now, versus a video game where things are set in stone. However, you can modify the game, we call them mods, to change the circumstances that we either do at the table on the fly or make adjustments then and there. But I think they are both games, um, and I don't think there's a real difference in that. I, I think the gameness part of it is the, the enjoyment factor, again, the counter-argument to that is painting is perfectly enjoyable. Is that a game? No, unless you include, like, speed painting, I guess. Or but, competitive painting, why not? Uh, some sort, sure. Um, and I, I, I think that's... I, I think that we're, we're running both algorithms, uh, an RPG uh, tabletop versus an RPG video game. Um, that They're very similar, Um at their core base. However, we can give that argument of video game RPGs aren't real RPGs, but I think that's necessary. Uh, the point of is of the topic of are they games? I, I think they are. Um, one's just a bit more easier to do and anybody can do versus having some program skill and back knowledge with on the computer side is the only real difference I'm seeing here. Well, it is a it is a game. You are playing with other people. Only these people have set up the rules beforehand, and you are literally driving the story. Your random actions are the things that introduce the uh, the random element into 
You're not going to advance unless you do the right thing, but it's a game just as much as a puzzle box. Yeah. Well, if, if we're the source of the random potentially, then the game itself doesn't have to be random at all. As long as you have it, I don't think it matters where the randomness comes from. As long as you actually have that, if you have something that is going to play out the same way every single time you run the experiment, then that ceases to be a game. Well, that's what I was saying. You can modify the experiment in the video game sphere. Well, even those mods, that just gives you a coefficient on your calculations. And every time you run it, with that mod, you're going to get exactly the same results, and it, you better, because if you don't, then your game is going to explode into a garbled mess on the uh, on the screen, and it's going to be what we call unplayable, right? I'll concede to that point, sure. But even running a pre-written module, outcome, defeat big bad, don't defeat big bad, it's the, it's the how, or how you did it. That's the randomness you're talking about, I believe, um, which the tabletop pen and paper, I think, has a lot more breadth to do that. Um, you could you could take longer in the video game sphere or this, that, and the other. Maybe you're slinging spells. You, it takes you an hour to do it this way versus 30 minutes to do it this way or different combinations, this, that, and the other. But the outcome's the same. You, you defeat Big Bad in video game or you don't. Yeah, and well, with video games, you can have speed runs. And tool-assisted speedruns. This means right. that, uh, yeah, and that's just button presses. That's the cool thing, which means they have to have this exactly right every single time, and they keep getting that consistent result. So it is, uh, the player is the dice at this point. And that's, well, you've got a game. You've got a game. If the rules are complex enough and your circular reasoning that you're doing, if your circle is big enough, can you get away with circular reasoning? That's really, that makes sense to me. I'm, it's morning. Hey, how y'all doing? If the circle's big enough, yeah, I suppose, I suppose you could. Uh, you know, I mean, there's stuff like Amber Diceless that gets rid of the dice anyway, and I'm sure there are other diceless systems too that, because, you know, as we're sort of saying in a way, that being that we're humans and we're playing this and we're not, computerized algorithms we are always going to be that source of randomness to some degree or another unless we're trying super hard not to like if we're doing a speed run and we want to be absolutely optimal and there's one optimal way to do it so we need to follow like race car drivers around a an oval where we're trying to get that racing line every single time around it uh given that we're generally not playing through the same modules over and over again and there's so many variables that we can't nail down different GMs, different other players, all kinds of you know, dice that, uh, you know, we don't have to worry so much about that. But, um, you know, it's definitely interesting to to think about. So having thought about this, how does that, does, does that, did that bring anything to you in, in, in focus as far as your own system and your own gaming? These thoughts about, I don't know, what is central to it being a game or what do you want to emphasize as part of its gaminess as opposed to something else? Well, <clears throat> I think that what it helped do for me is to clarify the importance of player choice. If you're going to be telling somebody a story, if it's going to be passive entertainment, that is it's. I, I would think that it's possible to have something be more or less of, well, not more or less of a game, but more or, or less fun to to get into. 
And as long as you give players that agency and that choice and you're not force-feeding them material, then you're probably going to have a better game. If you do have players that like to sit there and just sort of allow the world to happen to them uh, until you ask them to make a choice and then they're not really sure what that choice is, maybe your your style of game isn't for them. And speaking of, of games, I'm going to go ahead and and, uh, and and do a plug for myself right here if I can, because as uh, some of you may know, I have a uh, a new adventure coming out, and there it is. And okay, now I'll get back on topic. Please don't throw me off the show. No, no worries. It's, it's called Cookie? It's called Cookie, a horror story. And this particular... Uh, module is one of those things that's supposed to be bright and shiny and pretty on the outside and then you get into it and you realize that things have gone horribly horribly wrong um i think everybody's going to love this when it comes out it's been in a few play tests and i believe that i am just short paragraphs and a couple of pieces of artwork from having this thing ready to go live uh, thanks mate I mean, player choice is one of those really interesting things. We all want it, right? But we also see how it can run amok in some ways, you know, and, and then it becomes that kind of up to the GM to decide how much leeway to throw to people. It's that thing of like, okay, we were starting on the port city and the adventure is going to go over here, but the players decided to get on a boat and go to the other continent. You know, why? <laughs> and of course you could say, well, like I tend to say is, you know, if you don't have anything there, then just there are no boats in dock going to the other continent. It's just, it's not there, right? But then other people would say, hey, hey, don't do that. That's the, the player's choice. You should just now improv that entire continent for the, the players because they chose to go on this, you know, three-month thing. So, you know, where do you where do you draw that line? I think at some points, you 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 know, it, it, it sort of makes sense to, like, yeah, I can improv that continent, sure, you know, is... Yeah. But I also see it as some people are going to get really flustered by that and not want to do that, but they... Are in that weird gray zone where they're they they're not they don't feel like they're or they don't feel confident enough to just say hey they're yeah no ships are leaving there's not going to be a ship leaving for six months so come check back in six months if you still want to go to the other continent <laughs> uh, you know and and that's not look that's not a, that's not an unrealistic thing you know the boats to you know say from you know in the Middle Ages or you know a Renaissance from say you know London to the New World weren't leaving every five minutes. You know, you would wait months and months and, and plan and plan. So you just throw that at there. But, you know, sometimes in that area where they don't want to say no to the players and, and, and take away this agency that, that's important. But at the same time, that agency isn't really leading anywhere because now it's just you're leading into, you know, off off the map. So, what you know, what do you do? Is, is that somewhere where you should say, hey, we got to. And, and, you know, for players too, like, look, the other's content sounds great, but I know that he's not prepped. And we could come back to that later. I don't need to to pull on that thread just because it's there. Like, I don't need to go Skyrim and get on my horse and try to ride to see how far the map goes just to check it out, just to see where I hit the invisible walls. Like, cause I know that there's a dungeon right in front of me. Maybe I should go check that instead. Yeah. Now, whenever you have players that are intentionally trying to break your game like that, we, well, they're trying to break your game. They're trying to give you a headache. They're not trying to have fun and do a collective storytelling thing. They're trying to have fun at your expense. And we have a name for those kind of people around here. Everybody's got one, but you shouldn't show it off in public, right? And I try to not let those people play again. Because if your idea of fun is making sure you're the only one who's 
fun, then I, no, I'm sorry. Uh, whenever you come back next time, could you not, you know, come back? That'd be great. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And hey, the um, I've put, or at least I think someone already had said everyone should be able to, I'll set it to open open mic, but you may need to exit and come back in if I've set that correctly. Oh, oh here we go. Here we go. Let's have fun. Yeah, open up open up those those floodgates. Yeah, the agency thing is interesting just in general. I feel like it's a really big topic and people really get into it many different. I've heard people say like, well, I'm not going to knock out uh, have a player go a character go unconscious in battle because I'm taking away their agency. And I kind of think like, what? Well, I mean, you know, yes, you are taking away their agency, but it's due to choices, hopefully that they at least committed themselves the so, result of their own consequences. In that case, they have in some ways uh, leveraged their agency. And now that is a possible price in the degree. Yeah, I wouldn't just knock out a player just because for an entire session, but sometimes I think it can get a little bit, People kind of just like to pull up that, like it's some kind of golden card that you should never, uh, should can never be revoked. But there obviously are times where I think it is acceptable, and, and that we have agreed that there are certain things that can happen, like being knocked unconscious, where you say that hey, there are ways in the game that my player, my character could temporarily or permanently, in the case of say a character dying, lose their agency, and that's okay. It's not an egregious See, sin towards gaming. Well, with agency See, comes agency. responsibility, comes consequences. Oh, you have, in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. Save Shut the words. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, the, no, my, uh, my, uh, the thing that, that kind of gets uh, irritating to me is uh, it seems like there's this constant march towards um, like no out-of-control situations for players. As in, you know, that they can make any choice at any time and do anything and um, be anything and be different things at different times. And, and uh, you know, like, I mean, you, you could just, you can just take that to the extreme. And I think the issue with a lot of that is um, some of the most interesting things that can happen to you are when you're pretty much out of control of what can happen. And this is something that I actually uh, give credit to Lightwolf systems for because they have things like like for Vampire, for example, they have like uh, what happens if um, if your um, hunger takes over and uh, you're pretty much out of control of what you do. I mean, you have some control, but not very much. I mean, you get to make a roll to see if you, you stay in control. And if you don't stay in control, well, then the storyteller gets to tell you what you did. You have to deal with consequences that are outside of your control. And it's the same thing as dealing with consequences that are in the game and are uh, not going to change just because the players want to do something specific. Yeah, I think there's something, and I don't know if this was happening all the time. I don't remember back in the day, but I certainly with the modern players is, and I think that's the same thing that comes up with alignment is they don't want their choices constrained by anything. So they don't want anyone saying, well, you're alignment, so you shouldn't do that. Or, or it's against your alignment. I think if I tend to think of alignment as more descriptive than prescriptive. In other words, your alignment changes to match what you do as opposed to it saying what you can or cannot do. But right. I, but it, it, it is somewhat similar in that. It, I, I mean, they've taken away most of the classes that have any, any alignment restrictions anyway, but say a cleric, if their alignment were to shift away from their deity, 
maybe they would lose their powers, but players just don't, at least maybe D&D players, maybe White Wolf players or people who like Vampire the Masquerade and those similar games are different, but they just don't like anything to tell them that they can't just do whatever they want to do in the moment. They don't like those limits. But yeah, I agree as far as I think the limits really do a lot and they add a lot to the experience, but it just doesn't seem to be in vogue, at least for most players these days. Yeah, most of the players that most of well, the players that I have invariably whenever they're new they want to pick chaotic neutral because they want to have that broad range of of things to do and they do look at alignment as a straitjacket whereas i encourage you to look at it as a tool now if you have that priest that's supposed to follow that god of goodness and benevolence that just will not stop raping and pillaging i'm afraid that your alignment has shifted to a point where that deity doesn't want anything else to do with you that's not me doing this to you you have chosen this not my fault not my monkeys. You did it, right? <laughs> Charm person, hand over your sheet, please, and thank you. Well said. I'm yeah, making and- a minor adjustment at the top right corner. Here we go. There's your character. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And and what I'm what I'm getting really is I feel like as the demographic of people that plays these games broadens that there's more players that are playing the game as a form of escapism versus hey we're going to get together and we're going to go on an adventure and i think that the the difference in how the premise of the game is laid out i think the premise just like as somebody passing the hobby and starting to come in is that this is a world of of endless um infinite creativity and that that's how they that's the lens that they see the game through where i think most of us that came into the games when they started were coming from more of a well this is a a way to simulate war and then this is a way to simulate characters and this is a way to um tell these adventure stories that we you know these these places and things that we want to go a little bit more specifically Oh yeah, the game has evolved so much since those three little booklets back in uh, back in the seventies, and I think that they've well, I think that the game has gotten better. I think it's gotten better. Well, and it's like I I think it's I think it's good that that people play the game in different ways. I just think that like um, if you are somebody that is creating a module or a campaign setting or something like that, that has a certain um, flow of, okay, well you grew up here. So these are the kinds of things that you learned. These are the, these are the, you know, you're this alignment because, you know, this is not only just who you are, but what was the culture and the environment that you grew up in. You know, it's all the nature nurture, you know, and as far as we can tell, we're about half and half, Um, you know, that, those are the those real world things seem to not be taken into so much consideration. That's what one thing about Ember that I was reading, like Alan's given me um, some access to some things that aren't published yet. And a lot of it has to do with that cultural context and that those cultural contexts are actually very um, apparent and come out in the game. And 
you have to kind of go with the flow with those cultural contexts because if you don't, well, you're going to be you're going to be rotten in a jail somewhere. And Alan doesn't care if you live or die. Not really. <laughs> whatever has whatever gives me the best story outcome, that's that's what should happen to you. So like these these ideas where you've just got all these people and you've got a you got a party that's full of people from all different alignments, all different all different uh what do you call it, uh goals in life, and they're all gonna come together and they're gonna they're gonna form this adventuring party and do this adventure together, I think is just a uh I don't think it's a great premise. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the premises are always are, are flawed in general, right? But there's all there's usually there's that meta thing of hey, we know what we're here to do as players that we can fill in the gaps of you know mm-hmm. why do five guys meet in a random tavern decide to then tromp off and become lifelong friends delving into dangerous places doesn't make sense not really but you know we get it right but I think it also has to do with with some of the the I mean I don't know about you guys but it seems like people want to just compress um you know like session zero into nothing and not have one and um I think that session negative two negative one and zero and maybe more is actually what I'm going for if if I'm going to set up a camp like a long-term campaign if if I'm going to like when I was playing with the guys that I played with in high school, I'm pretty sure there was at least a month of planning that went on before we actually played because I wanted I wanted to talk to everybody on their own and get little ideas of what they were interested in, what they wanted to play. And then I wanted to get them together and bring those ideas, but make characters together. And then start to figure out, like, well, if I'm from this race and I'm from over here and I'm from over there, like, what got us all together? Like, why are we together? Yeah, the and, backstories are good if you have time for them. And right. if you're running things at conventions and whatnot, uh, I, hate to, I hate to run off of this really quick, but I won't be long. Uh, if you're at a convention, sometimes, well, every time, you have a limited amount of time to get something done. You've got to get in. You have to say all you guys are together. You know each other. And here you are at the start of the dungeon or in the bar where things are about to go down or or what have you. Let's get you right into the action because, you, the, okay, you people are physically not going to meet each other again once this convention's over. And we know it. <laughs> so let's all get together and have fun. Right. And the Well, I'm, I'm, I'm completely aware of that. I mean, all my professional work has been in the organized play space. So, I mean, I understand the other side of the coin, which is like, you know, yeah, we're just going to throw people together and here it is. But in that situation, everybody is still on the same page of we have a mission and we have so much time to, you know, basically go through this mission and have some some interesting. uh, What do you call it? Like, we're going to make some interesting decisions. We're going to we're going to do some things differently. This this module isn't going to be the same for every adventure party as it goes. But there are beats that are going to be hit, and there are there are things that are probably going to be resolved. I mean, like, I'm not going to say it's 100% because I'm sure that there's TPKs and stuff, but there's, you know, there's a, there is a mission, and there's a concrete goal, and you either make it or you don't. Oh, yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that Session Zero is a more of a modern concept. It's probably one of the... I don't remember ever having them back in the day. You just kind of showed up with your character sheet and were just thrown in the mix. And there wasn't a lot of thought to 
a, either a dungeon master kind of laying out and sort of pitching their idea and kind of putting it out there for everybody who's kind of just showed up to the, and maybe it is like this a lot of the time in real world situations outside internet talk where we're more aware of the stuff, but you know, you just kind of came in and you either sort of took the GM's game as it came or you just found somewhere else to play. And that was kind of it. Yeah, it seems like that's a modern thing. I think it is. I think it stems for people in the social uh, atmosphere market. We'll go with that. One of those uh, tend to drive home the narrative. Whereas when I was playing and starting up, it was, well, you built the narrative as you played. You didn't have the narrative pre-built before you started pretty much. You Literally what Todd said, you came in, either you played that night or you found a different table. Um, right. That's just how it was. Um, and I, I think it's – and I can't say if having a pre-written narrative in advance is great. I, I know at my tables, if you bring me a 17-page backstory, I'll say thank you, but I'm not going to read it. Uh, because yeah. I'm to play a game. <laughs> yeah, well, totally. Then, I didn't come here to read, but yeah. And the thing is, is that the stuff that I was talking about, I didn't pre-write anything. The only thing that I that I knew was enough. I I had enough backstory to get each of these characters from different places together and under you know having the same goals, and that's it. Just aware that they would have decent co- party cohesion, or at least an idea of decent party cohesion before we started playing. Yeah, I loved Session Zero. I, I, I think it's something. I mean, I kind of wish we had it back in the day. I think it's good that it has transparency. I think particularly the way people really love it. Because I'm someone who always has trouble with backstories, and I just want to play the adventure, whatever it is. But people get really into them now, and it's super important, I think, over particularly over campaigns, to make sure that all the player characters have this these relationships that they can continue to... Uh, you know, to build on and have because you end up with these issues that can happen in campaigns where a player has reached their own goals or a character has, and then the the, the player suddenly because they're not so much interested in I'm just going to hang around because I know we're all playing together is wondering, well, how does my character keep hanging with these people? They have nothing in common. They're from different continents or different worlds or whatever. He just wants to go back, whatever. I mean, yeah, there's the meta part of me just says, look, you're here to play the game together, so just figure it out. But there's no question that you can eliminate that uh, that friction whatever friction there is if you simply build into your premise or as part of the session zero this is why you guys hang out together these are your character goals this is the character reasons why you're all sticking together i think it's only a positive i don't think there's any negative to doing it and it's definitely something that i always i always tell people i have that session zero you know really get all this stuff out there and figure it out up front well see now there is a whole new topic that could probably eat up an hour or two on its own what do you do when you have <clears throat> people who really want to do that 17-page backstory and weave this into the world and get everything started? And then you have these other people who are like, uh, can we kill something now? Let's go do the adventure and kill something now. That's all I'm interested in doing. Or then you have people who do get their goals accomplished. And now what do you do? How do you... How do you go ahead and put all these people together into a cohesive adventure, the nightmare party? How do you get all this together and make it work? And I wish there was a boilerplate answer for that. And if there is, I haven't found it yet. I mean, I, I, I think there is. <laughs> okay, of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> uh, the, well, for, you got two options. Um, either uh, you get rid of the problems. Um, and, and this is the thing. Like, it's different now 
there's so much more choice on where you're going to play. You can go online, you could find 975 million games that you could try and, you know, fit in with that group. And if you don't fit in, they're going to get rid of you. Um, so either you can tailor the, the group or um, you can... And this is kind of the thing with the with the uh, session zero stuff. If you're playing with characters or players that they are on board with figuring out how each other knows each other and kind of giving a little and taking a little from each other on that part of their character, then you don't have to do that stuff. But I, I found that not everybody has those skills to be able to say, okay, I'm going to give a little and take a little, and you know, this we're gonna we're gonna go with what happens. Um, well, then you're getting into the difference in skill levels of players. <clears throat> are some yeah. are going to be better than others? Some and well, I guess I could say some are going to be worse. But the first part really wrapped all that up. <laughs> and it's your job to it's your job to manage this. You have the players that are still in their shell, and you're trying to get them out. You have players who are like, I'm hogging the mic. And you've got to stomp them down and let other people play. And um, it's it's a bit of a balancing act. And I don't know that there is a simple solution to any of that other than, hello, other than just kind of winging it and doing the best you can with what you've got. Fart jokes are allowed. <laughs> the, uh, what is it? Uh, well, the management side of the being the storyteller is, I think, the thing that gets kind of pushed to the side a little bit. Um, especially in games where they're trying to get rid of the game master, and it's like, I mean, that's that's part of the thing. But I mean, kill the GM. That's the game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it could be. I mean, and I think if you're playing something like Descent, or you know, like a a, a more complex board game, that that might be a good way to approach it. But uh, what I like to say is. Winning at RPGs is getting together with your with your group and having a good time. And I put it especially as a good time because it doesn't mean you're always having fun. You could you could you could be dead in the corner. Uh, you could uh, something really bad could happen in the game. Um, and those those moments aren't fun, but those moments are essential. Just to, so you know, guys, he's talking bad about me right now. Keep going. I am. I am. <laughs> um, those those moments are essential to having a fully rounded experience when it comes to RPGs. You have to have bad times. You have to have good times. You have to have success. You have to have failure. You have to, ha and you have to have some kind of meaning to go for once you're done with whatever big, um. What do you call it? Uh, like uh, it, it could be different things. It could be like a story point, or you you finish a quest, or you um, you kill the big bad, you save the princess, whatever it is. There has to be something else, and that I think the the hard thing with D and D is that something else probably has to be more powerful than the thing that you just did, or else um, you know you're not going to be able to. You're going to have that uh, uh, what do you call it? Kind of like deflation. But I think that the best games really, they don't have to just ramp up to where you're you're punching God in the face, and then where do you go from there? As fast as a lot of games can, what you can do is you you, you find the cycle of 
you know, okay, we went out and we did this thing. We had some downtime. We did, you know, we kind of chilled out. We, we, uh, this is where like the, the, the NPC community and the, the connection to the world is actually, I feel most important after you've gotten something really big accomplished. Because if the world still matters and what you do in the world is actually meaningful to your characters and the other NPCs, then you can have these downtimes where it's not action-packed, but it's still interesting and meaningful. And then you figure out a way to have another, you know, go off on another adventure or mission or, you know, whatever kind of RPG you're playing. I mean, I think that brings in more of an interest factor on the character side, but from the player side, especially the kind of games I play, the, the, motivator is gold because gold is your xp factor you can never have too much of it because you either have plans to build out your kingdom because you need to spend your money to get xp or you need to acquire gold to well get xp and either the monsters aren't a great resource of that um as far as story elements yeah i think that just provides more interesting factor to things and it's great to see i think everything incorporates um Having both a character motivator and a player motivator, I think, is uh, you need both for to maintain full interest. Or other people just dip out and go find another table, or the table's whole gets bored and they want to play a different game now. Well, uh, as far as the gold thing goes, I'm I'm feeling that that was partly in jest, as you said. You're just going to keep throwing more gold at them and hear, "Hey, look, more shiny stuff, come get it." But even that will. Over the period of a long campaign, even that would start to fall flat. Eventually, the characters wind up getting to the point that they're pretty much invincible. Nothing can touch them but old age. And what new thing can you throw at them? How much money? I've got too much of that filthy yellow stuff laying around here anyway. Uh, um, I made myself a commode out of gold. You know, what do you, um, what, yeah, I know, right? And how do you go ahead and challenge those characters if they still want to play them? Have you ever well, played a character you, for so long that he was just no longer fun to play? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell, tell you how you what. do it. Tell me what. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, what you actually have to do is um, you're almost you're, you're shifting the genre of the drama. Because when you start out in one of these games, it is the comedy of the of basically the common man. I mean, you're still you're still above above the common man in terms of what your capabilities are, but you're still the common man when it comes to being in an RPG experience. Once you get enough resources to where the, you know getting your plate mail isn't the the thing that's driving you, or at least driving part of what you're trying to get done, then when you're when you're comfortable when it comes to the resources that you have then you kind of have to shift the genre to the tragedy of the nobleman and so that a lot of that has to do with actually having your characters be invested with npcs outside of the of the uh the player group you have to um what is it uh you have to you have to put problems and challenges in front of people that sword or gold um, can't can't just instantly solve. And so you get into a lot of things that have more to do with, um, you know, like uh, those those choices that have to be made in life where they they're not great choices either way. But, you you know, a choice has to be made kind of things. 
And so it, it can become a lot less like, okay, uh, you know, like dragons and, and beholders and, 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 uh, physical evils to the monster inside of people. And that, that I'm, I know that sounds real philosophical and everything, but that's kind of where you go until the most dangerous game of all. <laughs> well, until philosophy, yeah, until you, <laughs> until you, until somehow you you lose your position in being comfortable with what you have. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hmm. Well, I do have a character that I have played ever since 1994, and I no longer enjoy playing him at this point. He's fun to bring out and let in as an NPC and let people interact with and now he's a staple of the world etc etc and i get to do this because i get to invent the world Uh, these are my rules i get to make them up um but i've just found that he is less and less fun to play because of reasons Uh, i would rather start over with something brand new that i've never done before and run that into the ground it's it's because of certainty um there's he's, he's, he's got too much certainty around him right so um that's that's part of what happens you know when we find certainty we want we want a surprise and when we have too much surprise in our life we 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 want some certainty so it's uh it's standing between the two uh somewhere in between the two is is uh what you're what you're aiming at for each of the players at your table especially if it's a long-term thing oh well i've had the opposite problem as well i've had people who would play a character for oh eight levels or so, and then they would say, ooh, I want to try something. Build another character, and they play that, and he gets up to level five, and ooh, I want to go ahead and do something else, and then they play him to level five, and they keep swapping characters, and then they start complaining, how come we've never got up to level nine? And I just want to look at him. You, <laughs> just, you do look at him. <laughs> just stare him right in the face, and I don't even have for you. <laughs> I was about to say say, there's a reason why most games don't get up all the way from one to 20. And some of that is, is, you know, fatigue from playing, but some of it too is, yeah, it gets harder and harder to, as the GM to challenge the party when they get higher level, it's harder for the party to feel challenged and you have to get really sort of crazy and over the top with the threats that are involved, which can be fun if you're going to super gonzo, but it can also be kind of a drag. And once you've saved the world, it's kind of how many times can I save the, Prime material plane. We've done it three times already. Yeah, that looks mm-hmm. to me like this place is trying to go away. Why am I stopping it? <laughs> That's it. I got um, my, I got my pocket dimension. We're gone. It's how many it's episodes of Justice League do you want to play? Exactly. It's it's after the hour. So we've we've done our allotment. Are you guys cool to hang out for a little bit? I'm not sure. My family's gone. They're going to come back at some point. And then I'll have to bail. But I'm okay for chatting longer. What are you guys, Pex, Alan? I'm here for just as long as uh, as I can be, I guess. I don't have anything big going on. Today's my day off. Oh, rock on. 
yeah. So, Datum, so tell me a little bit about yourself. You got all this, all these interesting things to say about this. What, what, what do you do? You do something with organized play. You mentioned what's your what's your angle? So, do not do not believe a word this man says. Go ahead, Datum. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I've been uh, I've been been involved with uh, RPGs in one form or another for about twenty years now. Um, I ran third edition in high school. My, my first RPG experience was actually a IRC RPG, um, game that was around Mega Man because, and I found that when Yahoo was still kind of like a, uh, they were, they were basically like tagging certain types of sites and they were cataloging them basically. So I found I I was what is it I was like a eleven year old boy so I'm like oh well I like video games so look up all the different video games and see what was out there and uh, that was one of the things I stumbled upon and I, and then I was like what did I just do and then I did some research on it and uh, it, then I found Dungeons and Dragons and Warhammer and uh, I liked Warhammer like I liked the premise of it but I was like man this is just way too expensive. <laughs> So I was like, okay, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this book, and then I read uh, third edition um, core books, and then I was like, uh, yeah, this is this is a lot. So I bought the the third edition um, starter set, and that's what I I used to uh, get some of my friends interested in playing, and I got a few other little supplements and stuff, and mostly just used stuff that I found on the internet, and uh, I ran. I ran a campaign for uh, three years in high school, and then after that, uh, with gaming, I, I've just been—I've been running a, a game um, at least every other week. I, I would say if you—if you, if you kind of smoothed everything out for the last twenty years, and now what I focus on is mostly um, RPG consulting and um, professional storytelling. And uh, I actually just started doing YouTube co- daily YouTube comment uh, at the beginning, daily YouTube content at the beginning of the week. What do you mean by RPG consulting? Like how to build a game? Um, well, Alan can tell you a little bit about that. Uh, VB can tell you a little bit about that. I basically just go out and uh, I see people that are that are trying to build their build their markets. And uh, I just talked to him about it. I don't do that professionally. I've never been paid to do that, but that's kind of the uh, I would like to at some point. <laughs> but uh, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's a, if it's actually a. I don't think it's really a money opportunity. I think it's more of a uh, it's more of a brand opportunity to be able to go and uh, talk to people that have a product and they have put in considerable work, but they don't really they haven't really uh, um what is it, uh, gotten their product to kind of a commercial level yet. Nice. Uh, the commercial level is kind of a sliding scale. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it doesn't, there's not much barrier entry to actually getting something to be out there, but yeah, there's, I often find a lot of things could use polish, uh, you know, and I've, when I, when I've done, when I've done, you know, video reviews of different things that I run into that all the time or I'm reading through something. I'm like, yeah, this probably could have used another one or two editing runs or things like that. But, you know, I get it. These are individuals or small companies that are doing everything kind of out of their pocket. They don't have a lot of money to spend on sending things for editors or for mm-hmm. doing more than rudimentary layout and definitely things like fleshing things out. So you end up with a lot of stuff that kind of 
maybe not in the most polished, best way forward. But hey, you know, you have to, sometimes you got to just, what they say, don't let the perfect be the enemy the good. You just got to get it right. out there and get it out. So you do that and you just live with it and hopefully you get it better on the next try. Yeah, well, with editing, you uh, you really do need to pay a lot of attention to that and much more. If you're the one that is doing your own editing, you're going to do a bad job because you've seen it a bunch of times. You've literally seen this more than anybody else has, and you no longer see the mistakes. I've had people offer to do editing for me, and I've gotten some of their examples. And what I've learned is that if you think that you're good at English, you're not. And <laughs> that happens to be a yeah. sad truth. Um, but they really do try. But the, the point is, um, everybody needs an editor. And you cannot have a mistake on every other page because that's, that's god-awful. That's absolutely hideous. And your audience is going to know, and it's going to come up with a product. Yeah. But unless your name's like, Watson, you're not going to get away with it. Right. The, the, uh, to, to Todd's point, um, the – what is it? Uh, actually, uh, nope. Totally lost it. I was going to say something. It's gone. Thank you. Thank um, you. That's, that's another right. service but, uh, I provide. It's free. Thanks, Alan. Um, the <laughs> – but yeah, I guess I guess where I, where I am really with it is uh well yeah, and the people that I've uh, worked with, um, the people that are trying to commercialize that do have a price on what they are, um, it, it it's kind of a um, it's kind of a mixed bag. Like with Alan, Alan, I bought his core book. I was like, you know what, this sounds good enough. Um, four hundred pages, what can go wrong? And so I put some money down on the table. But with other other games, I've I've seen what people are doing, and I've I've talked to people, and I'm just like, well, I like this, but um, I want to give them more money than I have to give. So what I do is I um, I test things, like uh, with with Mythos Machine for Elthos, I've I've tested things. Um, with uh, Dungeons and Delvers, I, I tried to do some. Um, some marketing for them and uh, well sometimes uh you don't get enough traction to actually even put a play test together which sucks but uh you know it's like trying to go in and, and look at people's things and and see what they have no matter what no matter really what quality level they are and um try and put something together and play with it because um this is a really interesting kind of um experience where you can you can tailor things you can see kind of like core ideas of where, where people are trying to be different than, than what's going on in 5th edition or something like that. And it's cool to have the opportunity to do that. It's cool to ha give them some feedback. And it's also, you know, it's like some sometimes people ask me about like, you know, marketing and, and that kind of thing. And I got some experience with that. So I give them, give them the kind of uh, uh, advice that I can. Nice. I mean, there's there's a lot of creators at different stages that could really use a lot of stuff. It's just like I've, I know, I because I, I said I do the these video looks, and I find a lot of stuff, and I'm like, this is just my live first pass, you know, forgetting reading it through a second time or a third mm -hmm. time, and I'm finding tons of stuff. But yeah, as far as you know, how to turn that into something to do professionally, it's you know, it's difficult because the guys that really need your help the most are the ones who are the least prepared to be able to pay for it unless mm -hmm. they somehow this land a, a big Kickstarter or something. They don't have the money. And the ones that have the money probably, you know, already have an editor and they're already kind of set up, you know. So it's a right. tough it's a tough it's tough tough to find find your your space in there. Well yeah, the, 
chicken and egg mm-hmm. problem again. Well, it, it not really. I mean, I think that everybody, or well, I can't say everybody, but I think ninety nine percent of people have the wrong idea about this. Um, with the professional storytelling, that's a that's a direct service that is easier to say. Okay, well, I'm going to work for this for you hourly, and you know, this is this is the the hourly rate, and blah blah blah. Um, that's, that's not hard when it comes to the actual, like consulting and brand building and, and marketing and uh, like, like not actually writing the marketing, just helping people with like marketing strategy and what's, what's the thing that they should highlight about what, what differentiates their product and that kind of thing. Um, that's for me, that's all brand building because now, um, what is it? I have Alan, I have VB, I have about 20 other people that, um, know who I am, what I do, and how, what I've been doing for the last 20 years. And that is growing my initial um, social media base for my YouTube channel. So I think it is a lot more about just having perspective on what you're doing out there. And you can be doing things professionally that don't have dollars going back and forth. Well, I have dollars going forth. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, I know you do. <laughs> And I think what he was getting at is that whenever you're trying to do something new and you're trying to make, uh, God forbid, a game system, which I would not recommend anybody do, but I support you if you're trying, um, is trying to get all these talents together because you don't have them all. There's no way. You've only had so much life. And to do a really top quality product that's going to get noticed in an environment where you have mega corporations like Wizards et al. doing things. Um, you're going to need help of some kind. You cannot pull it all off, and you're going to have to bootstrap this some way. And people who don't know how to go and do a successful Kickstarter, hell, I don't even know how to do an unsuccessful Kickstarter, but I probably need to. Come in. Silverhand, you're clapping at me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't even know how to do an unsuccessful Kickstarter, much less a successful one. And there are a... That you could fill a book with the stuff that I don't know about this business and how to get things going, and and they have lots of them. Um, yeah, it's just how do you do that bootstrap? How do you uh, how do you find that way? And then they're confident enough to go out and just give it a shot. You know, they have to. There are people that want uh, everything to be handed to them already done, and that's never going to happen. And there are people who want to try, but they don't understand what they're doing wrong because they're not getting feedback. Uh, there's a veritable minefield, and it's it's a fun minefield if you kind of you know enjoy getting blown up and having a having a blast like you do in a minefield. We're having a minefield romp day. You guys want to join? Having well, a blast in a minefield. Right? You can't you can't just think that you're just gonna always succeed in every part of doing these businesses. Like why? <laughs> you sir yes god I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take you out the woodshed later <laughs> Woo! don't threaten me with a good time that's right but the what do you call it uh, yeah just well like Alan was saying you know it's, it has to do with talent but the thing I, I guess the only really way or real way to break out is that you have to do I mean you, you you got to pex it because pex is here i'm gonna i'm gonna use him as a verb um you have to do a bunch of stuff um 
for for no compensation other than being able to be part of the process and um, network with uh, people that are already doing it. And uh, if you're trying to do it any other way, um, like everybody's like, oh, well, interns should be paid and blah, blah, blah. I, I mean, uh, well, I mean, well, before, well, they before be, but well, you can't afford that all the time. Yeah, you know? Well, I don't know. Um, the <laughs> well, before I was. I ventured more into the more creative stuff that I do. I was uh, thinking about being an economics major in in uh college and uh i got into economics and i found that well if i wanted a job that was something other than uh manufacturing uh, uh, reports that politicians wanted to hear then um i had to find a new major economics theories are and, very hard to get a solidified permanent job that pays yeah so um i <laughs> so i went i went the uh the direction that was complete certainty so i got a degree in entrepreneurship <laughs> exactly and, uh, um and i too have but, found 500 ways that won't work <laughs> yeah but, but that uh the, the reason i bring that up is just the that the economics behind a lot of these things um there are a lot of there are a lot of uh pressures there are a lot of uh political and uh and uh legal pressures and uh every, especially in the gaming industry i've found it's just like everybody is wanting you know oh, well i'm doing this work so you should pay me and blah 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 it's basically the internship and the apprenticeship part of how people learn to work and how people used to network and socialize and that kind of thing is completely gone and uh it's been pushed out and i think that um really um it's being pushed out of the of the uh what I want to call it the more solidified the more traditional business, and all of that stuff is just in social media now all of it well, uh, all the be- all the internships and apprenticeships that you can possibly find are in the social media and are like gaming social media space, and they've just pushed it out of these traditional businesses, and what's going to happen is these traditional businesses are going to hollow themselves out and they're just going to fall right over and that i I think I see that happening right now well, I mean it's very uh, go, go ahead Alan. Uh, you you've been wanting to chime in there <laughs> yeah, I've tried a couple of times it's all right um well, I would say that it seems that things are moving I mean we've probably all some of us have read who moved cheese. And a little bitty cute book about uh, about mice, and they always had this cheese store, and it kept dwindling and dwindling and dwindling, and nobody ever looked for any more sources of food. And finally, one day, all the cheese was gone. And instead of saying, oh, my God, now what do we do? Uh, this well that they kept going back to for food, they said, who moved my cheese? It was right here. And they didn't see that it was constantly drying up. And I think we need to start looking at that as a possibility. Uh, the people that you were talking about, Datum, that were looking for traditional ways of doing things, well, tradition is tradition until it's no longer viable, and we usually quit doing that and move to something else. And if the um, if the resources you're talking about have moved to social media now, then these companies that refuse to change with the times get exactly what they deserve. Uh, to be honest, there aren't enough dollars floating around and everybody looks to watsy there's plenty of money like no they're 
that's just Watsy. Um, a lot of people in this industry are underpaid. I do about 10 different jobs, technically, different job titles, technically. I don't get paid for 10 different job titles. Not near. <laughs> um, and everybody wears multiple hats, and the base value for what you're paid is, is very, very low. We're not doing this because we expect to get tons of money or get rich. If you want to make $2 million in the gaming industry, you start with three. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's it's. I, I don't think we're there yet. There's more gamers now than there has ever been. This is true. But I, we don't have what I would equate to video game success. It's not there. Um, and we see Kickstarters doing millions and millions of dollars, sure. But there's cost to those. There's and people don't realize all the costs that go in versus the profit. And it, it's very much a since we're talking about economics, very economical thing. Um, your, your your costs are, are tremendous. Um, and artists don't get paid as much as they should either. Uh, New order writers, writers make pennies a word. Honestly, I think the average industry standards three cents a word or something like that. Uh, it's yeah. ridiculous. And that, that's an average. There's some people pay much lower than that too. It, it, it's a hard knock life. If I wanted to do the same job, I would be, and make money. I would be in a different business than RPGs, honestly. Well, well and <clears throat> I'm getting paid no cents a word right now. Three cents a word sounds like that's lavish. With the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> So, so the, um, um, so I'm sorry, I, I, my, my girlfriend was saying something quick, but, uh, the economics to me just isn't about like dollars. It's definitely economics of action. And, um, the idea that, you know, I, I really just think that the creative energy is flowing away from all these businesses and, and some of it, like, you know, like, uh, one of the things that she said, Alan is like that, that businesses aren't doing this and aren't doing that. Well, what I see is that they, they would probably do the best thing for their business if they weren't forced to do other things. That's and, exactly uh, how Sega went out of business doing yeah. what was best for the business. They turned a profit every year until the last year that they were making consoles and they tanked hard, and mm -hmm. everybody that wasn't Sega saw it coming three years away. Right. Well, that that's just well, I, I, in in that specific situation, that just seems to be a uh, you know, they they just they they knew what they were on a path to do, and they had they they had the um, what's the word? They were optimistic about what they can do and what and how they could succeed and uh they just got ran over by a microsoft truck and um you know that's kind of i mean we could see it 
but them as a business and there's already in business there's probably momentum they probably already have things designed and in production and and you know basically they're just ramping up marketing and getting some software written and that kind of thing and that that's uh i mean I don't know if it could be any different. Like I said, I, I think businesses would do what would be best for their business for the long term, um, in t- except for in two situations. Either they're trying to get out of the business or um, they don't have the ability for um, you know social, legal, whatever reasons to, to do the things that are best for their business that's going to sustain the business. Well, it's hard to argue that you're running your business into the ground whenever yeah. you are turning a profit every single quarter. But right. they managed. And if they <laughs> can do it, you know, if, seriously, if they can do it, uh, somebody else can do it, too. So that might be a hard thing to see coming. What would be the flag for that? Because I think we all need to keep something like that very much in mind. Um, you're able to kill your brand with very little effort. And you might want to uh, might want to but be see, cognizant of that. But see, they didn't build their brand. They just uh, they had to leverage their brand in a different way. And they still, I mean, they still license Sonic. I mean, they had they just made um, shoot. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Sonic Mania. And well, Sonic that, Mania wasn't the end of it. Now you're right. That was a terrible game. But what they had was two different people arguing and fighting Sega of Japan versus Sega of America. And Sega of America was doing a bang-up job, but they didn't want to do the things that the Americans said to do. And the people in Japan made a series of really poor decisions that still allowed them to turn a profit, and they did not see the truck coming until they'd been ran over. And I'll, I'll quit it to our ugly sister cousin, the board gamers. We saw the board game boom. Lots of people were doing, hey, this is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And box sets are very, very difficult to do. And a lot of those indies aren't around anymore. Because either, they, well, A, they were getting into business for the first time, and B, they, they discovered that board games are not profitable. Well, and physical, physical um, what do you call it, gaming things, I mean, you can only have so many. I mean, unless you, unless you have just a... Uh, you know, a 20 car garage that that's empty that you can just pack with uh, those boxes of games. Um, at some point you're going to, you're going to run out of space and really the only ones that anybody's going to have now, instead of it just being like monopoly and clue and risk, it's going to be like an entry of a pursuit. Of course, um, it's going to be like, there's going to be 10 games in that, in that stack instead of four. And it's like, are you going to be one of the top six games that people actually play? Right. And the point I was, I didn't mention that I was trying to hone in on, you can't just do what's cool all the time either. There's a balance oh, yeah. act uh, well, between sure. profitability and cool stuff. I mean, we had frogs. We, we do projects just because. doesn't mean we're going to make a whole lot of money off of it. Mm-hmm. Then we make things that we know are going to make a lot of money. And because we are we have a production line and we lots of math, um, we figured out how to make that balance. And I think that's a struggle for any company is finding that balance. Well, if you're doing what's cool instead of making cool, um, that is. Yeah. You're already behind by definition, right? Yeah. And it's like, yes, you want to do some things that, you know, like this, this project is, is, is 
more than likely going to be profitable, but that can't be your whole business or else you'll never get in on the, you'll never get on the edge of, of things where, um, all the money's made. Like all the, all the, you know, like 10 X, like big, big, uh, successes are. Figuring out where things are going to be. Now that's the trick. Wayne Gretzky said he doesn't go to where the puck is. He goes to where the puck is going to be. And well, that's the thing that I wish I could see ahead. <laughs> well, there's plenty of, uh, what do you call it? Uh, talk around like where everything is going when it comes to just the world in general, but also entertainment. And <laughs> there's some people that are like, this will be the downfall of the human race. And I'm like, I don't know about that. I mean, uh, maybe, 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 uh, maybe to some people, but there's still people out there. I, I don't know about you, but I'm sur- I'm in a little town surrounded by uh, lots of women making little babies. <laughs> I don't think we're going to go extinct anytime soon. There you go. And then the chat goes quiet as everyone contemplates <laughs> their personal Armageddon. Well, no one makes babies, so no. Yeah, they're they're loud. They stink. They make horrible noises, and they do to you. If you had an adult do to you one thing that your baby has had do to you, you'd punch him right in the mouth. See, it's the reason. <laughs> it's the reason that Willow wasn't so successful because had a baby as a main character. Just just how it goes. Hey, the baby was not a main character. <laughs> what? Let's Get out of that up. The baby yeah, was the baby was a prop. <laughs> the ba- the baby was the ring. <laughs> yeah, no, the, see see that's the thing is uh the, the this is what I'm learning from social media. Sometimes you just have to say things that are going to get people to say things. And uh that was one of them, so you're welcome. Oh, you mean say something absolutely wild and right. Still walk the line and don't fall over into yeah, we're going to edit that out. Right. Well, guys, I got to get going, so I'm going to put up my links here and then uh, take off. Yep, All I right. think I got a jet, too. Besmirching Willow is a good, a good way to end the program. So let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Pex, drop your stuff in the chat, and Alan, drop All your right. stuff in the chat, and then I will kill Craig. Right. And thank everybody for hanging out for a few hours on a Sunday morning. I know it could be tough, but I uh, appreciate it. Die, Craig, die. Here we go. Uh, Here's my carp. I will put that up and then drop another thing of my upcoming upcoming release. This is probably the closest to final rendition of this cover as I have. Maybe. Most certainly, I might possibly revise it again. But this is where it is now. So I look forward to having that out for everybody. to having everybody come and buy it like a million copies that'd be great or just three you know however and i will uh, i will thank you forever and it will be awesome times that's not my best pitch but that's what i'm doing awesome pex you drop your stuff in yeah i already did all right thanks everybody thanks for hanging out and i'll talk to you next time enjoy the rest of your sunday and uh take it easy talk to you later uh, bye everybody bye with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.